mountainside. Welcome everybody to the Road to the Royal Rumble 1993 in the Legacy Series. Today we don't have as much material quantity wise, so you can tell the deacon who sits on the back pew of the church and always checks his watch that he'll be home by noon. Uh, I do have one thing to address up front, which I will break down as the episode goes on. Something surprising happened on the way to the Royal Rumble, and that is I guess I had completely forgotten the reality of the beginning of Raw. This is a show that has been on the air for so long. Whether you like it now or you don't like it, it is such a staple that I forgot the energy and the ideas and the attempts, whether they're good, whether they're bad, we could break all that down. But it had a very, 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 very unique in this era approach uh, coming out of prime time. I think there's a lot to talk about there. We've got Mr. Perfect going one-on-one with Ric Flair in a retirement match. Uh, at the time that we're taping this, ladies and gentlemen, CM Punk is back. He's in AEW. So... The world is spinning, things are happening, and we're going to get into it all. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, the Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans, and yes, from the very first episode of Raw all the way to CM Punk showing up on Rampage. Uh, it's a wild world of wrestling. It's a wild journey from one place to the other. I'm sure we will touch on both. We already have, in fact, just in our intro. But, man, there is a lot going on today that we are going to talk about. Uh, we've got hearts coming out our ears. we got head shrinkers. we got Yokozunas. And we got all sorts of wonderful things. we got men from the moon. That's just what wrestling is all about sometimes. So, man, I am ready. It should be very exciting. My friend, let's get into it all. It is just a bit of um, serendipity. I don't know what exactly I'm talking about at the moment, but it's just a little strange to be covering the first three editions of Raw when the second edition of Rampage just went off. Um, I watched more pro wrestling this week than I've watched in a long time. I watched a little bit of SummerSlam. I watched a little bit of Rampage. Uh, So let's just get into it. The United Center, CM Punk... Where were you? Uh, how did you experience it, Ms. Fan? And, and what did you think about it? Oh my gosh! I mean, uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a wild night for me in a different way for others. Um, I had every intention of watching it live, which I don't usually do. In fact, I almost never do. Uh, what with a young baby and all sorts of things. But I thought, hey, it comes on at ten. Baby should be asleep. It'll all work out. Baby was not asleep, so uh, <laughs> my experience uh, seeing that was uh, desperately looking for a way to watch it, because like most young people, uh, or even not young people, I don't have cable anymore, but finding it and uh, trying to feed a baby at the same time, and you know what, for all that, man, I don't think that took away anything, just <sighs> surreal experience, just... Um, it's funny because I've never even been like, I, I like CM Punk. I like him a lot. You know, he's never been my number one guy. Uh, it was sort of coincidental that I stopped with WWE pretty much uh, on the day that he left. Um, but uh, there's something about the guy 
And I was definitely reminded of that in full force when he cut a, what I thought was a very brilliant and uh, seemingly very honest and very emotional promo on the first Rampage. And just look at the energy in that crowd. You may see the picture of, like, uh, one fan who's crying, which, I man, if wrestling can never make you cry, then I think you're doing wrestling wrong, personally, but um, that's my own opinion. So good on that guy for feeling it down deep. Um, man, just, just, just look at that crowd. When that music hits, the way they rise up every man, woman, and child, that's a special thing to me. So I don't know what will happen with Punk. He's got his own uh, ups and downs, of course, but uh, right now I'm just feeling very excited. I thought what an experience that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. Um, I don't think it matters whether CM Punk was your favorite wrestler or not. I don't think it should matter if you're a WWE person, an AEW person. Like That moment is special within itself. Number one, it's historical. If we can't even have that conversation, then we're not being honest. It is historical by itself before it even happens. They sold out that building, which is kind of gigantic for, for, for the world we're talking about. They, they sold it out on a rumor that CM Punk would be in that building. Yes. So that right there tells you something by itself. Um, he was a lot more emotional than I thought he would be. Uh, he spent a lot of time outside the ring with the fans diving into the crowd, being re- like literally received by the fans. So um, even the energy was a little bit different. I'm, my biggest compliment to AEW is making it understated. You don't have to do everything he's going to do on the first night and just kind of letting the human being uh, start the process because he's going to have an organic response with the crowd. And I'm glad they allowed that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, no commentators talking, thank God. Uh, they just, one of the first things he said is, like, I've got time. And w- what he meant, I think uh, the way we're supposed to take it is that, um, you know, he, he's got time in his career to, like, be back and to do the things he wants to do. And that's great. But really, what I thought he meant and what may have been true, I think they just gave him as much time as he wanted to take, and I think that that is extremely wise um, to do so. And just look at the result. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah, no, it it worked out very well. Yeah, I think that did have a double meaning. I think we were supposed to take. I got time, as you said, because we got all of these um, events leading up to All Out, and he makes his uh, Dynamite debut next, and he's gonna have his pay per view match. So we found out with Darby Allen, so mm. a lot to come. I really liked the way that he uh, kind of withdrew, uh, redrew the map that he left professional wrestling in 2005. I thought that was, without going in, burying WWE for 10 minutes, he just kind of othered sports entertainment, uh, <laughs> put it off to the side, and drew this line from Ring of Honor to AEW, which to me was just masterful rhetoric. I thought that was so good. I've seen some folks saying... Um, Oh, well, I wish he hadn't come out and, like, spoken bad at WWE because everybody does that. And I, like, I suppose, like, I'm certainly not going to stand out here and be like, yes, we should all do, like, work shoot promos about our previous place of employment. But, A, it's CM Punk, and his entire character that made him the most famous is here's a man who will come out and speak honestly about his feelings and frustrations and, like, where he's at. So you can't take that away from him. And, B... 
I thought he went extremely light compared to what he could have been. Because, like you said, I mean, he he, he referenced them. He kind of said, well, they're not pro wrestling. And, you know, you, you can like that or not. But WWE, I think, will tell you the same thing. So, yes. like, everyone's in agreement there. And he said, I, I had to leave a place that was making me sick. And, like, you can't relate to that as an adult. If you've never yeah. had, like, a bad job or a bad fit or a bad situation that you just had to leave, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, you've had a blessed life, I guess. So I, I thought he went both very light, very honest, and very relatable. I, I was very pleased by that part of it. Yeah, I hate collective conversation in part because it leads <laughs> to decrees. Yeah. Like, you can't say what – like, maybe um, – I don't even know – random person who worked for WWE for a year that never put him on TV and then he left and he got fired and now he's really mad because he didn't have his opportunity. Maybe he doesn't do a shoot, you know, but like you said, if CM Punk doesn't address it at all, then, then CM Punk didn't come back. Like somebody like the fake <laughs> CM Punk is uh, joined the fake Razor and Diesel because that's not CM Punk. So number one, like judge every situation according to that situation. Yes. And also for me, because after he got that big ovation, I had a moment where I thought, this is going to suck. <laughs> oh, no. Because, like, he doesn't have any relationship to anybody in AEW. So, like, like what I was thinking when I had that feeling was, how is he going to say something that is going to be worthy of the feeling and the seven years gone? So, one of the things that did it for me was when he withdrew, when he drew that line, because mm. it's not about, oh, he took a shot at WWE. He barely mentioned them, but... There's something in that statement that if he lives it, that's a powerful thing to say even everything that you know me for, everything that you're cheering me for, the whole reason why this is a big deal. That wasn't even me. Like, I am not simply the guy that did the pipe bomb. Like, I have a greater identity that comes before that and actually just kind of pushes that to the side, and it connects 2005 to 2021. There's something powerful in that statement if you dig down in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I would trade some of the stuff Punk did in WWE for anything, and I don't honestly think that he would either, um, although who knows with that guy. But uh, the way he approached that, and just having seen his stuff with Ring of Honor, and I think even more so just knowing what an absolutely passionate, committed, like, just a nut for pro wrestling CM Punk used to be. Like, student of the game, like, before he was a wrestler, he was a backyarder. He would, uh, you know, post on the forums back in the day in certain places. And just, like, this is a guy who was so into pro wrestling and whether you think he should have or not, he really had that just beaten out of him. Just like there was a point where he despised it, I think, and he wouldn't have come back for all the money in the world. So for the fact that he can find a place where he does want to come back to, where he feels comfortable, where he feels connected once again to that feeling that he had uh, back in the day, back in 2005 and the years before, Man, that's a beautiful thing, I think. Like, should we all be so lucky to find a way to connect to, to our younger selves in our, our later years? Man, that's a beautiful way to put it. And when he talks Ring of Honor, there's someone else who comes to mind mm. uh, who might be on his way in. So yes, do you want CM Punk? And, and there might be some out there who won't. Oh, here's Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They're, you know, they're here to... <laughs> 
you know, but do you want disgruntled people who are here just to take shots at WWE or do you want the guys, like you said, who felt like they felt when they were young, the ring of honor versions of those who changed the game when it seemed impossible to do. And I think there's something about that that says you're going to get more, uh, you're going to get more of me than what you know I am or what you think I am. And I hope that's the case because I think this is obviously the biggest signing, the most consequential one, and it could be the best thing that happens to AEW. But one wonders six months from now, like, does CM Punk have to have a drama in the long run? Like, does he have to get mad at AEW, or who is he if he doesn't get mad at AEW? So. If I am supporting this thing, I want the guys coming out of Ring of Honor and kind of not the the habits of wrestling post-WWE where you just work somewhere until you get mad and then the whole thing blows up and then it's ugly and everybody goes their separate ways. Uh, I mean, anything could happen. Uh, AEW is far from flawless, but I feel like, at least with me and with a lot of fans, they have built up enough trust and goodwill that I'm not really nervous about that if anything they've gone the other way because look at some of the hirings they've made early on they brought in chris jericho and i was like eh chris jericho is like kind of done but he's had a great run he's had one of his best runs i think in 2019 2020 and still doing uh some good work now uh they brought in john moxley and i was like and, like, he doesn't even like wrestling anymore. Like, he probably, you know, they probably shouldn't do that. And he's had, like, a brilliant run. Um, Brody Lee, who spent, like, ten years or whatever being, like, practically a nobody, they brought him in. And I was excited, but I was like, you know, is he even still Brody Lee at this point? And he came in, and he had this wonderful run before, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, there are other examples as well, but I think they have shown, if nothing else that they are an environment where people can come and really revitalize themselves and show you the things that they could still do that were maybe put on the shelf. I'll put it this way. Um, you know, if Randy Savage in the stuff we're going to talk about, if they were making him be an announcer on raw and then he went over to a place like AEW, um, you know, I think he'd have a wonderful run there. It's the same kind of energy folks who are kind of limited uh, put a lid on them, you know, put them on the shelf, put them in the booth, do whatever, you know. These people can go there. Just look at Tony Schiavone. I know I'm going on and on, but here's Tony Schiavone, who basically threw all of wrestling, like, in the garbage can and would have nothing to do with it. And he kind of inched his way back in MLW and sort of rediscovered that he, he loved wrestling, and then AEW brought him in, and he's been one of their best guys. And I, I didn't even like Tony Schiavone once upon a time. So to just see him be in that booth and, like, delighting in things week after week, you know, it's amazing. So I, I'm just going to leave that there, and I'll just say, if with me, they have trust, they have goodwill, and I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> Well, my focus was not AEW for the record. It was <laughs> when you become the best in the world off of being disgruntled and screwed and kicked around. If nobody screws you or kicks you around, what becomes your long term motivation for being best in the world? So that's just the question that I was putting forth because I was like Daniel Bryan. I could see him coming to AEW and whether they make him the best or whether he just has fun and wrestles good matches. I think he's going to be happy. I don't know if CM Punk how happy he can be continually without 
like a great challenge and a chip on his shoulder and something on his back to try to get off. So that's that's just what I'm wondering is what becomes the long term motivation if he lives in a world where all is well. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't doubt on that area as well that they will find something for him to do or that he already has something in mind that he wants to do. I think he said in promos that like, or in interviews that like, I'm only going to come back if I have like something in mind. So I believe he's got something in mind. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I am curious what he looks like in the ring at this point. That is still kind of the question mark, but um, I, I suspect he will do well enough. I'm excited to see what he can do. All right, so I know something that stuck in uh, the crawl of Benjamin Button was his idea of, like, I'm here to help uh, everybody. I'm going to help uh, Darby Allen by wrestling him. So, number one, is is that is that rhetoric just kind of what it takes today to kind of – he's not going to come in and bury people. I think part of it I, – I just happened to see a StarCast thing where he was talking about uh, he's always like to help people. He always brings his friends along. But – do you think that's going to be the continual language of CM Punk that he's just here to help people? I know Shawn Michaels, when he returned, he's like, I'm just here to put people over and then ride off into the sunset. Um, what do you think about that language? Well, I'll say for one thing, I love Benjamin Button, one of my favorite people, but uh, his extreme disdain for AEW is a little barrier between us, so I'm not surprised that he had his own uh, issues. And that's all well and good. Everyone, of course, can have their own issues. Uh, for me... I didn't really think twice about it. I feel like even in um, even in uh, competitive sports, you could have that uh, attitude at times. Maybe not. I don't watch very much competitive sports. But, man, if you are a guy who's kind of done everything, you want to come in, you want to work with the young guys, like, that's exciting. Like, he didn't come out here and like, I'm going to put you over, make you a star. Yeah. Like, no, I'm excited to work with you, and I think that's um, – that's a reasonable position to take. And it's not as though he didn't give him any threats either, because he's like, hey, I saw you get, like, thrown off a building, but you know what's more dangerous than that? Wrestling me. And I don't even know if that's true, but certainly there's a threatening aspect to that. So uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't even really think twice about it. I think it's not something that he will approach uh, all his feuds with, but uh, in context, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, I wasn't really. I found myself... In the middle, like, I don't want to hear it all the time, but especially with someone like Darby Allen's temperament, Mm -hmm. it would be nice for him to be like, I I don't actually need your help. I'm not looking for your help. And if you think that you're here to help me, then uh, the match is going to turn out in a way that you're not uh, going to like. I liked best that CM Punk, his first address was to someone who came before him and someone who came after him. So that was nice, like addressing Darby Allen and then Sting right there. So that was the way that kind of just splits history there with CM Punk, like, you, you know, even if you're coming in as this just legend, there are people who are even, like, further along than you are, and then there are the Darby Allens as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I haven't thought about it too much because I'm still just sort of, like, processing it, but I think we may see something just like that with Darby Allen because I will say with Darby, uh, people know I'm a big Darby Allen fan um, from the way he wrestles, the way he acts, and uh, all that, the stuff he does in the ring. One thing he certainly never does, I don't think I've ever seen Darby Allen like, put his hand out to, like, shake it before the match or, like, raise his opponent's hand after the match. He is a guy who wrestles with unbelievable urgency. He is a guy who looks like he's trying to win uh, to me, which is very valuable. Not all wrestlers do that nowadays, which is a flaw, I think, in the modern style. So if CM Punk 
uh, or any fans think Darby Allen's going to come in and just have like a respect match. I don't think so. This is a guy who won his first match in AEW came out with a body bag that proclaimed that babyface Cody Rhodes was about to have his first <laughs> loss. So, so let's not think for a minute, uh, that Darby Allen is going to be like friendly and roses here. Cause if he is, that would be nuts, but I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah, I think and when Jim Cornette and uh, Brian Lafferty give the segment a 10 out of 10, which they did, it's hard to find uh, complaints because mm. it's, it's just it was the perfect thing because I can see the temptation to do more. And that would have been the problem. Like I, I love just how understated. And then again, I love also these wrestling uh, Darby Allen and not going straight to the world title, which, you know, how many people SummerSlam did the opposite, which is, again, I watched, I would say this, I watched two or three matches just randomly clicked on Peacock to see who was wrestling at different times. And I liked the matches that I saw better than what I saw with Omega and Christian because they were slower. They had a pace that I enjoyed. But then when you get to the end of it and you realize it's so fake and so predictable, like John Cena, everybody is a character within a storyline. And when the storyline ends, they cease being that character. So John Cena is the guy chasing that 17th title. And then all of a sudden Roman Reigns beats him. And now he's like a rag doll for Brock Lesnar to beat up after the match. And Cena out, Lesnar in, you know, start the new thing. Like it's so, you can see the hands of the creators on everything. And I went to bed in a bad mood, the kind of bad mood that only WWE can send me <laughs> to bed in because it's the same shit. I, I tried to watch it five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it'll be the same shit over and over and over again. And it's so frustrating. Um, I forgot my point. I got so mad. But anyway, <laughs> it's been a, it's been it's been an interesting time. I I did like RK Bro versus AJ Styles and um who's the other guy? Almost something. Yeah, like all four of them to me. That was my first time seeing him. It was my first time seeing a Riddle Russell. But all four played their roles and. I think AJ Styles is kind of like Shawn Michaels in that the older he gets, the more I like him because he has to slow down and build his character more. <laughs> and then Randy Orton, to me, I've always been a massive Randy Orton fan, not even as a character and not even that I want to watch him. But anytime I turn on a match, I enjoy it. So a week of watching wrestling. Oh, that's what that was my point. Like, I don't want to see CM Punk be Brock Lesnar. Like, oh, my God, here he is. He's going to come in at the last segment and attack the world champion. And now he's got a match with the world champion. Like, I don't want that. So understated, it was almost like two events were taking place. Like one event was just for the United Center, and then the rest was for the rest of the world, and they found a way to make both of them work at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really did. I mean, as far as WWE goes, um, just my own opinion, of course, and uh, no offense to the WWE hardcore fans who are definitely not listening to the show anyway, so I don't even know why I'm addressing you, but... uh, (laughs) I mean, it's been the story of WWE for the last um, six, seven years, I think. The greatest roster I think you could accomplish in the modern age. And the, just the worst booking, just the dirt worst booking that turns off fans again and again. Uh, I did not watch SummerSlam, but I did watch one match because I could watch it uh, in a little clip that someone posted on Twitter. I could watch the whole thing, and that was uh, Becky Lynch returning and beating Bianca Belair in 10 seconds. Um, and... I don't know. I like Bianca Belair a lot. I watched her WrestleMania. She had this great match with Sasha Banks. They seem so high in her and she come back and squashed. And it's unbelievable because she, like on Twitter, 
I shouldn't even look at Twitter sometimes, but folks are like, oh, well, this is what happens. CM Punk comes back and WWE, they have no choice. Yep. They have to book like crazy things to counter him. And I'm like, I don't even know how to converse with such a point. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just like nothing matters. Oh, you like Bianca? You know, you were invested in her win as a lot of people were. Well, too bad. Now it doesn't matter anymore, you know? And folks have to like play apology for WWE and be like, oh, well, just see what happens. Oh, well, just let it play out. And like, okay, sure. Like, I can understand that point, but how many times do you have to get fooled before you learn like the story, like the pattern of what happens in the WWE? You know, like, we've let it play out so many times. And it's not good, you know? There is no plan. It's just things happening week to week, and they don't really connect to each other. So, I don't know. That's just my mini rant. I'm going to leave that there. Yeah, that's another thing. I went on Twitter, and then I never wanted to watch any wrestling again. <laughs> so that's the biggest problem for me. And I, I'm almost on the other side. I get what you're saying, but like if you're watching WWE, then that should be the attitude that you have. Because yeah, sure. if you're surprised by this, I feel sorry for you. It's like... If Goldberg Goldberg might come back next time and be like the monster from WCW, but this time he got the brakes beat off of him by Bobby Lashley because that's the role that they're playing. You know, every single world champion, like just because you lost in 26 seconds has nothing to do with how you'll be booked in October. You could be a mid Carter then you could be the world champion again. You could be a jobber by then, but not nothing that happens in any segment has any bearing on any other segment. And if you don't accept that, then you're not watching it. And that's the th- that's the one reason I can never watch WWE. Like I said, I watched that first match as RK Bro, and I was like, I like this better than the world title match I watched in AEW, and it had Christian in it. And then I saw the end of Edge and uh, Rollins, and I was like, my God, this 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 is very intense. What a good match. And then I got out of the matches and got into the storylines, and I was like, oh my God. I hate wrestling and I hate Twitter and I hate the world and I hate my life and I never want to ever do anything again. And that's how WWE leaves me all the time. And they are people who admit fans don't like all fans don't have memories. You don't have to make things make sense. You don't have to. So like if you're in that world, either watch it for what it is or go somewhere else or just be super pissed. You can also do that. It's your life. I don't care. But like you can't be surprised. You don't get to be surprised by it or act like, Oh, they wouldn't do this. Uh, they they're doing it all the time. It's all over the place. So I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you can be happy in that world unless you like Roman Reigns because he he seems to be a consistent. But everybody else will come and go. They will rise and fall. I like that Bobby Lashley kept getting pushed, but like next week he might not be. And you know, like I said, they could bring Goldberg back one day to be a monster again. Like none of it has a bearing on anything else. Yeah, no, it's um, it's very strange. It's just uh, not for me. Aside, you know, I may cherry pick the occasional match because they have such a great roster, but I can't invest in the storylines because the those investments do not pay off, uh, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just um, <sighs> I, was, I wish you'd watch Christian against somebody other than Kenny Omega. I think he would have had a better time. Maybe he'll maybe he'll have another chance to impress you at some point down the line. I hope so. I clapped when RK Bro won, and I didn't like I didn't care who won the match, but like I so easily knew what everyone's role was. Like Matt Riddle has is like a like a really cheerful. Uh, 
person who just got into a sorority and they're really happy and they're having a good time. <laughs> they're going to sell you cupcakes. And then, like, the facial expressions are beautiful. Uh, like I said, I like AJ Styles. AJ Styles did character work outside the ring and I didn't cringe. So that's so much better than what I used to know. <laughs> uh, Randy Orton has more hair on his face than he has on his head. I've never seen that. That's interesting. And then you got a giant who just, you know, they're booking him well. Like he, Orton kept attacking him on the apron and he almost fell down. Like, oh my God, he almost fell down. You know, so it was nice. But, but he, if you like storylines, like you're going to get screwed. And like we haven't even gotten to '93 with Lex Luger in the same company, I don't like getting screwed and being made to feel bad for my fandom, and I'm not gonna do it. So, I guess if you're like, "Wow, are they spending 30 minutes talking about all this stuff?" Well, <laughs> we just came back to it because one consistency in this company is, well, every now and then they will they will do what they want to, whether it makes sense or not, and they they will hurt you in ways that. The booking can't always predict, or maybe it does. Who knows? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So uh, when y'all listen to this in uh, early October, we hope that it's still relevant. If we have said anything that now seems foolish, we uh, apologize. We are doing our best with this funky schedule. But, yes, that is some uh, modern-day thoughts from Miss Fan and Mystic. You won't always get those. Here's the thing. Half of the things that everybody says is foolish, but, you know... <laughs> Yeah, so everybody give everybody else a break, and, you know, you're going to be foolish sometimes, and I might not agree tomorrow with half of what I said today. That's just the reality of life. Indeed. Uh, the biggest thing I didn't agree with is that um, Raw was very, very uh, unique in a way. I, I, I had forgotten this entire Manhattan. This is pre-ECW. This is almost like an ECW arena era of WWF that they're trying to do. They're going to be in one building. Apparently... It's all money issues at this time, so uh, this is 1992 going into 93. It costs too much money to do primetime wrestling. They're pulling people off the road just to be a part of primetime wrestling, so they're pulling them out of house shows where they need them. And the first idea, apparently, was to use like some uh, uh, warehouse in w- or something in, I think, Connecticut or something to be the host of the show, but it didn't have the exact same feel. So they end up in New York. They end up in the Manhattan Center, which is a big, big deal. But then you're right back to spending a bunch of money, you know, which is what you're trying not to do, which is part of the reason that this experiment will not last. But, man, I started thinking beyond The Undertaker and Bret Hart and Diesel and all the people that we claim transitioned, you know, us from all the golden era to the new generation. I don't know if there's a bigger transition in going from something called primetime wrestling to go into the uncooked, uh, unedited, uncensored raw. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've said it before. Change over from '92 to '93, and the whole company goes from blue to red, and that's that's primetime to raw, in my opinion. What a change! Um, what a difference in feeling from the stuff they've done before. Uh, so it's gonna be very interesting to talk about. I will just say this: if they're having money trouble then um, slap Vince McMahon in his face for spending money on Rob Bartlett. I'm going to say more about that as we go along here. I have a lot to say about Rob Bartlett as well. At first, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And before the show's over, I'm going to have some praise for Vince McMahon and Rob Bartlett. Not that it's a good idea, but also almost in the opposite direction. That is such a bad idea. But like, what kind of human being when your company is falling apart 
says, let's do a kind of show that we've never done. And let's take someone who has no business being here. Like, you can love Vince McMahon or you can hate Vince McMahon, but Vince McMahon is not like us. Like, there's no way to get inside that head. Uh, some of the bad decisions that he makes affects the fan base, and some of the bad decisions he makes affects himself. But my God, when he decides to go for it, there's old Rob Bartlett who doesn't watch pro wrestling, so commenting on pro wrestling for an hour inside the booth. And so I will have a lot to say. I watched a 50-minute Rob Bartlett interview to see what the hell he thought of that time in his life. So we will talk about this all a lot later. Oh, my. Your dedication is amazing. I uh, <laughs> can't wait to hear something about that. That, that is interesting. It's all mind-blowing, like, to go from primetime wrestling to me is so Hulk Hogan. It's like primetime wrestling, like spotlight on us, best hours on TV, good ratings. Raw's kind of like Bret Hart. Uh, you know, no steroids here, no uh, big gimmick here. Like, everything's understated, understated. But it's also a little Vince Russo and the pre-attitude, attitude era. So this first attempt at Raw is just intriguing to me. It certainly has a uh, chaotic element that will grow in time, but yeah, there's nothing exactly like, man, this this early, at least this first year of Raw, which I have some familiarity with, it almost existed like in its own world, like it wasn't even always connected to the things happening uh, outside of Raw, so it'll be interesting to kind of catch some stuff of Raw as we go along here. Yeah, so we're going to get into it. Uh, we will be a little, in a little bit. We will be doing the entire first episode of Raw. Then we will do Tito and Flair from the second episode, and then Perfect and Flair from the third. But before that, uh, this is a Bobby Heenan-driven segment, in my opinion. Uh, Bret Hart will be on the platform with Gene Oakland. We're still in that world, and uh, a lot will happen uh, within this promo. Yeah, now I'm wondering if that platform uh, went in the dumpster as soon as Raw debuted. Mm. So this, I don't know. This could be the last time we see that platform. That's uh, a little sad to think about. But, um, yeah, Brett is up there talking. Uh, from commentary, we see uh, Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler, he's here, and Bobby Heenan are yep. sitting and they're watching. And uh, Heenan, he can't take anymore, so he's going to go have a word or two with Bret Hart. And I'll just say again what everybody already knows. Man, I wish that Bobby Heenan uh, was still uh, up and managing around this time because it would have looked a little bit different. We're going to get a taste of that here. Bobby Heenan is continually outworking every other announcer. And it's funny because every time he oversteps his bounds and does their air quotes there, you know, he'll talk about, I'm a broadcast journalist. I can go where I want to go. I can do what I want. So in a way, you're like, oh, you're just a weasel manager trying to do this and that. But in a way, he's just a guy who is doing a better job at his job than all the baby faces around him. Absolutely. He has the uh, the courage to uh, go to these places where he ought not to be sometimes, and uh, he will use that shield as well as he can. So put some respect on Bobby Heenan, who's breaking boundaries once again. Yeah, this whole episode is Bobby Heenan goes places. So, most... <laughs> <laughs> Including to the roof. Yes, you got it. I love this. Um, and it's, it's what Bret Hart deserves. And this is a thing I think almost why you need a wrestling world that you can't react to online immediately. Because I can see someone rightfully in a way being like, oh, you got this old manager who's not even a manager coming up here and bullying the world champion. Like he wouldn't have him just come over and take over Hulk Hogan's segment. Hulk Hogan would do this and that. But like this, everything that Bret Hart needs 
Bret Hart needs to be disrespected. Bret Hart needs to be thought of as less. All these things need to happen because that is the exact fuel. Like the whole gimmick, the whole thing is he became world champion on a show that doesn't exist somewhere in a house show, somewhere off screen. You know, he's not Hulk Hogan. He's not the ultimate warrior. He doesn't deserve this. And yet somehow he's still there. Somehow he beat Ric Flair. Somehow he beat Shawn Michaels. Now he's got six foot seven inch Razor Ramon coming and Flair apparently is still in it. So Bobby Heenan talks him down. Bret Hart tries to talk. Bobby Heenan keeps on talking. But you ask Roddy Piper, just because you say the most and do the most doesn't mean you get the best of Bret Hart. <laughs> Very true. Brett has overcome that hurdle, so I don't think anyone can say more in a short amount of time than Roddy Piper. Um, but Bobby Eaney will try. He says Brett must defend his title against Razor at the Rumble, which uh, which everyone already knows. He says you might not even get that far because you're going to have to deal with Ric Flair along the way. And uh, I'll say it's very interesting. I saw when I was going through this year for uh, my Heenan project, and which may never even see the light of day again, sadly, but um, on a house show, there's a, a blessed fan cam of an Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Ric Flair, where Bobby Heenan is actually at ringside managing Ric Flair. And uh, I don't know if people want to watch an hour of a fan cam. I think not everybody would, but that to me was very special. And I really enjoyed that match actually. So I just want to throw that out there. I think even knowing it exists is special. And, <laughs> you know, one thing I'll say about another compliment, this is going to be a weird night where WWE is going to get a lot of compliments from me, but I am really impressed with Ric Flair and WWF for how they uh, closed the door on this relationship. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, for as many, relationships as we've seen end badly and certainly this one could have look at how flair left his last company look at um you know the conversations between flair and mcmahon that led him to leave it could have gone badly and yet uh, both parties are working very hard to like make this finish into something special so i gotta praise that for sure absolutely and flair putting in iron man matches putting over perfect and wwf treating him like he's a legend up to the last minute which we'll get to um, even this is special, just like you tell me about the Iron Man match. I didn't realize that Flair kind of comes back, so we got this like double team of Bret Hart, you know. So we were we were on Savage and Perfect versus this team, but this team has stayed together. Now they have directed their sights on the Hitman and Bobby Heenan, obviously orchestrating things. So uh, he has a great line about um, if the right doesn't get you, the left one will, and then he calls out the right. Um, Bobby Heenan does and the right is Ric Flair uh, Flair comes out first squilling a little bit and then finally gets into a promo voice and he says oh, let me see I'm in your king size bed with your girlfriend in my arms I'm that close so that's very, very close to Bret Hart is Ric Flair that's a great line um, yes you're right he took a moment to get into um, an actual promo voice but then he cut a great one, as you would expect. He says, being the man and staying the man are two different things. Yes, this is what I meant by seeing Punk's rhetoric and Flair's. Like, these are the smart people who, they know context. So Flair's always to be the man. you got to beat the man. But the minute he's not the man anymore, there's a whole, like, twist on the whole statement. Like, oh, it turns out there's actually, like, some fine print here. And being the man isn't all that. And that's such a Ric Flair thing. That's such a heel thing. That's such a guy who's going to always be at the top because they find a way to make things right. As I said, Bret Hart just kind of sits back and grins at things, ever confident in his own way. 
But then the left one is brought out by Bobby Heenan, and that, as I said, is six foot seven inch Razor Ramon. So now Flair kind of goes in the background behind Bret Hart. Razor Ramon comes up to his face. I'll just say, I was thinking so strongly at this time, man, I wish the Heenan family were still a thing, because, like, look at the, the foundation you have here for a new stable. Unfortunately, it's not going to be, but, um, man, imagine these two and and Lex Luger, you know, working together as a trio with Heenan. Like, what a thing that could have been. Yeah, this pissed me off, because, again, we're going to be um, dismantling the whole if you can't make it in WWF, you can't make it anywhere. WWF did so much for him. Like I've been sitting here for months watching Razor Ramon and Ric Flair together as human beings working with Bobby Heenan and then Narcissus, who's not a human being and has yeah. no thoughts is going to come in and be by himself. So like if you made him Lex Luger and let him be a human being and he was with Razor and Ric Flair, how different is that than like Narcissus looks in the mirror and has a steel plate in his arm. But but somehow we're supposed to believe WWF doing that with him is better than him getting to actually do what Razor Ramon and Ric Flair are doing right now. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's wild how much they will miss the mark with Lex Luger. I was just thinking about that as I was watching through this. So we're going to hear his name a few times uh, in two weeks. We're going to have to meet him in all his uh, quote-unquote glory. So it'll be some interesting conversations coming up. Yeah, like I told you one time, one of my favorite Lex Luger moments in WWF is when he knocks Bret Hart out at the brunch, and that is Lex Luger doing that, not Narcissus. But but like, it's also kind of like, why is he doing it? Versus if he's in this family, in the family, as you say from the beginning, then not only does it have more punch, it has more reason, and you know, and that legacy. Like Lex Luger really should have inherited the WWF legacy of Ric Flair because he's coming in as Ric Flair is going out. He's with Bobby Heenan technically. He's going to beat Mr. Perfect and, and attack Bret Hart. So he loosely does all the things that he should have done, but there's never like any grounded reason and there's never any kind of collaboration in the way that these guys are having it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, when is that brunch? Which show is that before? Uh, WrestleMania 9. Okay. Man, they don't even have anything to do with each other on that show, so that's interesting. Yeah, that's all. I mean, he knocks him out at the brunch, which is pretty much shown, I think, at WrestleMania 9, but it has no bearing on anything. Except, <laughs> all, I guess, Bret Hart's got a headache when he wrestles Yokozuna or something. <laughs> interesting. All right, well, on the road to WrestleMania, we're going to have to look at that for sure, and it's full uh, fullness, so... It's very quick. Bret Hart never sees it coming. <laughs> Although yeah, I think you can see the little the little cue that he gives for Lex Luger to do it, so that's nice. <laughs> well, you know, can't uh, do everything. Razor Ramon again references murdering people, so he Razor is going to kill somebody. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, I know all about execution, and man, he's just gonna flip out a switchblade on one of these interviews, and we're gonna unearth that he murdered somebody on TV, and everyone forgot about it. <laughs> I think it just could have been Diesel. <laughs> he's the only man in WWF who looks good in gold. Uh, the toothpick at the time, at the early era, if, if he threw the toothpick in your face, made this is a heel thing versus babyface privilege. Like you were getting punched in the face uh, in this era if he threw a toothpick in your in your face. Yeah, I love that. You know what? That that sure gross. You know, like punch yeah. him. <laughs> That's disgusting. So get him. Um, it's great. Yeah, he throws the toothpick. Bernhard uh, starts throwing fists. 
um, Flair attacks as well. Mr. Perfect runs out, and they have a fight on this platform. And if this is the last we see of the platform, it's a nice way for it to go out. You see four legends all fighting in that little space, and uh, it's some exciting stuff. I agree with you a million percent from, I think, two weeks ago that Perfect and Razor would have been a good option for WrestleMania 9. So good. So much better than what we got. And I, from what I remember, I actually liked those two matches, you know, Luger and Perfect and, and Razor and Backland better than some people do. But, man, missed opportunity, I say. Yeah. This ends in a big brawl. Organically, that's where it's going. But we've already told you at the beginning of the show that you can't always, you know, you can't bank on uh, organic in the World Wrestling Federation. Folks, it's, it's sports entertainment, folks. We respect you enough to, that you know that, and we don't, we're not held accountable for anything. WrestleMania 9, I've seen it before. I want to watch it again because I kind of have to, like, reformat my thoughts on it. But just sitting here thinking about it, it feels like one of the biggest self-sabotaging shows that this company ever put on, at least in this era. I don't want to count recent years, maybe. But, um, like, they're just going to miss so many obvious opportunities and make so many baffling decisions that will, like, set the company back it will send a message to the fans, well, you actually shouldn't care about all these new people. You know, they're going to just – it's it's very strange to think about that show from where we're sitting here. Yeah, WrestleMania 9 is one of the most interesting in our era because it is disdained by a lot of people. Um, the card is not that great. There's very controversial uh, decisions on it. But, man, at the same time – it has this hokey arena that is one of my favorites of all time, so I, I will never let anyone take that away from me. Sure, I actually love the venue as well. Um, though, uh, well, I'll, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. It's a great venue. <laughs> yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Even that is like, hard a little, but it's good. Like every show, it'll, it will be complicated. <laughs> yes, for sure. Oh, dear. Like Here's a sad piece of footage. Um <laughs> A mania sit-down interview with Owen Hart. My first thought was, oh, my God, like, why are they having a sit-down interview with Rocket Owen Hart? But I will get my answer by the end of the segment. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I was very excited to revisit this because, um, you know, this this in the last segment, we complained, I think, so justifiably at the last pay-per-view when Bret Hart had essentially absolutely no reason to uh, wrestle the guy he was going to wrestle uh, and here, like, look at all this great build we're suddenly doing. I'm going to make a, a, an argument before the show is over that Razor Ramon is doing more than anyone else, than Bret Hart, than Shawn Michaels, than The Undertaker, than anybody, to push us into the best aspects of the new generation. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it right now, because he's about to show up. But before he does, uh, Raymond Rougeau, of all people, is talking to Owen Hart, uh, Owen talks kind of quietly about high energy and they're having fun. They're having some success. Uh, they ask him about Brett and, uh, Owen says, Oh, well, we always try to do our best. It's a very kind of like general answer. Um, he also mentions their dad, uh, abusing them in the basement. So take that for what you will. And then, and then Razor Ramon shows up and the whole segment changes. Yeah. I want to hit a couple of Owen points and then let's go into that razor conversation because i think partly it's razor but partly wwf is giving him a run that's very special right now oh yeah but owen hart number one owen hart should not have to be taking questions about 
if he's concerned about the pace of Bret and burnout, that is just so obnoxious. That's a Bret Hart storyline that should stay in Bret Hart's head and Vince McMahon's head. Owen Hart should not be bothered by it. But then also, he wrestled all his brothers in the dungeon. Uh, father wanted a wrestling background, and he was okay as long as it wasn't his father that he had to wrestle that day. So you can, you can putting the obvious aside on that. It is a little bit, a little snide, I think, of... Um, he wrestled any of his brothers in it, and he was okay. And guess who? One of his brothers is Bret Hart. So that's at least an implicit, like, hey, he's not God, and I am this, this piece of dust of an unimportant. So, you know, there are signs. There are very small signs that we might get a different situation with Owen Hart down the line. Indeed, he is saying but not saying, hey, maybe I would beat him at WrestleMania next yeah. year. So. <laughs> The old Rick Steiner move, I pinned you in the locker room. Oh, uh, yes, you made that a touchstone for me. I love that. Okay, so, yeah, let's get into it because uh, he's going to be joined. He does a good job. As an adult, when I watch this, it's always like Razor's going Razor's to knock him out of his chair, and he knows Razor's going to do it. So I'm looking at his eyes because how do you not sell it? But, like, he keeps his eyes on the interview, keeps on talking, and Razor comes and knocks him out of his chair and puts a beating on him. Yeah, yeah, Razor barrels in and clotheslines him right out of the chair. He's beating him up. And I love... Yeah. <laughs> what does he say at first? He's like, oh, did your dad teach you that one, man? Yeah, <laughs> he says, crazy. hey, Rocket, did daddy teach you that one? Oh, my God. He is just killing it. Like, yes. you could say WWE is giving him chances, or WWF, I should say. But, man, like, I don't know anybody hardly in this time because we got a lot of new people coming in and some of them are very good. Yokozuna, you know, comes to mind. A lot of these other guys, uh, the Steiners, of course, can't take away anything from them. But man, when it's just about like character and like exuding this new personality, I don't think anyone is even in Razor Ramon's league as far as the new arrivals come. Like he is above and beyond here, man. Yeah. Uh, we've already said he's a genius. Like, like Sting should give him royalty checks for the last 20 years just for coming up with that gimmick. Yes. Like seriously should. Um, watch Razor Ramon's eyes. Watch him on Raw when he finishes. Vincent Man tries to cut his promo and he continues because he's got one more thing to say. This is what I mean when I say the only excuse for not pushing Luger that I will take is that as a human being, he might not understand wrestling enough. And so this is what I mean by that. Like if you're booking a company – the guys that you want at the top are guys like Razor Ramon, guys that in every single moment, they not only understand what their character is doing, they understand how their character would do it, exactly how they would punch, what they would call Owen Hart, what they would say, the look on their face, the sarcasm, the look in their eyes. Like They will take anything that you give them, and they will make it even better. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, this is Scott Hall, I think, at his sharpest over the next few years, and it's going to be some special – special stuff i think this is this guy turned out to be one of the most naturally like talented and charismatic guys when he put it all together that i think wrestling has maybe ever seen like uh this guy i'm gonna have a hard time even fitting in all the good things i want to say about scott hall about razor ramon over the next few years i was just so impressed with everything he did in these segments we're gonna see him and it's incredible because you've got all these people, a lot of talented people, but we've talked so many times, oh, Undertaker, Brett, Sean, these are like the heads of the new generation. And yeah, they're going to be, but I really stand by the fact that I think Razor Ramon is doing more 
probably in all three combined to introduce us like to what that generation is really going to be all about. Like he is the forerunner right now, I think. Uh, if you were watching it as a kid, like watching it live, you had no idea. Like you would never be able to predict kind of the diesel run and some of the other things like Razor Ramon. This is not even Razor Ramon's a baby face. And you know that how WWF likes to push their baby faces. So Razor Ramon was an obvious like next guy up. I don't know how much was his lifestyle and how much was he just doesn't want the pressure. But when you were watching this stuff early, like my in my mind, Razor Ramon would have done what Diesel did 10 times over before Diesel did it. Absolutely. I was just thinking that like. If I were watching at the time, I would have to think, like, this guy is a future world champion, yeah. you know, especially if Bret Hart could be, you know, and that's nothing against Bret Hart, but, like, Razor Moan, like, this is a guy who, with this gimmick, probably could have main evented against Hogan at his peak, and yep. he wouldn't have beat Hogan, but, like, he's got the character, he's got the charisma, he's even got the size that Vince McMahon loves so much, like, I don't, he's so good, like, I'm just gonna have so many good things to say, I think. He would have made that boss man money with Hogan around the world. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. And a lot of you guys I'm... can't say that, and that's what I mean <laughs> when I was saying earlier about Raw being Bret Hart. Like, the way that Bret Hart works is you got to go contrary to everything you've ever done as a company because that's the way, only way it's going to work. Razor Ramon, you don't have to do that. Razor Ramon could fit either generation, oh, and that's yeah. special. Peak Razor Ramon could fit any generation yeah. he's one of these talents they could just go anywhere and he would work i think immediately you wouldn't have to change anything about him so he's so good um i will just say this there were two matches from this era that i think were taped but i think have never been released anywhere and i so wish they had been the two matches the first one was Shawn michaels versus bob Backlund, which sounds super interesting <laughs> but the second one is razor ramon versus Big Boss Man, and I'm so uh, sad I couldn't find that. I don't think it's out there, but if it was, you better believe we'd be watching that right now. Absolutely. that, that That's magical, you know? They're similar. They're not the same shape, but they're close to the same size, and they both defy, you know, what you expect from them. And, yeah. again, I do think whether it was his personal life or something else, he's on that when, when he's going to become a babyface and an IC champion, like everybody knows what that means, you know. Yeah. He's on that. He's on that track at one point. It's just later he's not on that track anymore, and I don't know if they sour on him or if it's something else. But he is on that track, and then he's not on that track, and then he'll never be on that track again. Yeah, we're gonna have to watch closely. We're gonna have to do uh, some unearthing. Uh, we got a lot of time to spend with Razor Ramon, so we'll see what comes of everything. But I'm excited for the next few years. To Scott Hall's credit, too, when he leaves the WWF. He gets that big money offer from WCW. He goes to Vincent Mann and is like, like, my money's been flat for a long time. Like, what do we have to do? Like, how, what can we do to get my money up? And Vincent Mann pretty much tells him, like, I think he says Vincent Mann pours out a bunch of letters from fans. And, like, this is what you mean to everybody. This is the effect you have, which is telling him, like, we're not going to do anything. Uh, <laughs> but, like, he just flatlines in WWF at some point. But you are right. And this is not even in my notes. So, like, props to you for, like, shining the spotlight on Razor Ramon because it is well-deserved. Uh, absolutely. Like, he is right now showing what the best of new generation can be. Like, he is working peak Hogan-level inciting incidents here, and he's driving it all. Like, all respect to Bret Hart, but Bret is kind of like, you know, he's just on that 
that platform and he was like i have the technical ability to beat yeah. racer remote <laughs> it's like okay great but he's gonna beat up your family so maybe don't worry about your technical ability so much like he's gonna beat up your brother and maybe stab you so like let's get in <laughs> gear here man yeah and may and we get uh short promos from both of them yeah and razor's like you're a little upset i slapped your little brother around like again it's almost like disrespecting it's not a big deal but halfway surprised like number one i did it just to provoke you number two i'm surprised oh did it provoke you like he's a very despicable heel and yet kind of likable at the same time <laughs> oh he is uh, they had to turn him face and they're gonna do it yeah. sooner rather than later but man i'll just say this uh, as much as the razor what a wrong tactic to attack owen hart um you know i don't think brett hardly got upset about that at all he should have said hey you know, I don't, those moves you do in the ring, I think they're not quite crisp enough. Then, Brett, he really would have gotten mad. Oh, my God. You're so right. Because uh, the most disrespectful thing that happens, though, in Hart, are not the questions he's asked. It's not Razor Ramon jumping him. It is Bret Hart's response, which is pretty much, it won't be the first time I'll have to pound out some bully for picking on my little brothers. That is so disrespectful to a grown man wrestler who's also in the same business that you are. Yeah, I think Owen Hart, for some reason, he's like 15, like, in yes. this company right now. I have no idea why, but uh, he'll get his soon enough. Yeah, Brett's probably a little pissed he took that mask off that we will find out later that Brett required that he wear to work in the same company as him. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep. And so, you know, like, who talks like that? So if, if someone talked about Bret Hart like that, they would be in a matchup the next week together. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I'll just say again, if Razor Ramon really wanted to hurt Bret Hart, he would have, like, critiqued his Russian leg sweep or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> know your enemy. We talk about Razor being a genius, and then we talk about all the kind of things that come after that. But what about the things that come before it? This is a man who surrounded himself in his early career with Mr. Perfect, Jake Roberts, and Diamond Dallas Page. Sure. Like that right there tells you someone who's smart, someone who wants to be around people like him. Perfect, one of the smartest in-ring wrestlers, Jake, psychology, DDP, a little bit of everything. And then Razor just becomes that, and then Razor starts to become that for others. Uh, we're going to see him put a lot of people over. We're going to get that one, two, three kid thing coming. So oh, yeah. you're right. Just like Raw sneaked up on me, I think Razor Ramon has sneaked up on us as well. <laughs> I mean, uh, they have their ups and downs, but I mean, just look at the click. Um, yeah. You know, look how much time he's going to spend with Waltman, with uh, Shawn Michaels. And uh, even though I'm not really a fan, like, even with uh, Kevin Nash, you know, like, this is a guy who really knew the people would be around. And, um, you know, once again, if he had had a different kind of personal life, you really just have to wonder how far this guy could have gone. I don't know if there's a limit on it. Like, I think he could have been more successful than anybody we're going to see in the new generation up on top. He could have been the most successful guy between Hogan and Austin. I really think there's a possibility of that. And that's how different the world can be, folks, because... There's no bigger abomination than Steve Austin getting stuck in a match with the WWF NWO version of Razor Ramon. But like a, a hot Razor Ramon out of the new generation into the Attitude Era with Steve Austin, that's an entirely different conversation. Oh, they fought in 96, 97, something like that. That could be some beautiful stuff right there. Man, 
It only hurts one person. That's his. That's his big buddy. I think that's the person who suffers the most if Razor Ramon succeeds. <laughs> and uh, we all would benefit from that. So yes. wouldn't that be nice? Man. Okay. So Razor Ramon and Bret Hart, and as Miz fans said, they've already done three, four times more than they did with Michaels and Bret. Yeah. And I don't know how much is true. I don't listen to the shoots. You know, I don't know. I'm just going off instinct. But God, this feels so driven by. Scott Hall, like, this is the kind of stuff he will do. We know he kind of came up with his own gimmick. He pitched it himself. Um, and all these things he's doing, like, I- I'm not surprised at all that he is a guy who, like, gave advice to Shawn Michaels and kind of guided him on how to be, like, a better wrestler and performer. Because, uh, like, Shawn had, like, the physical ability down, but I think Scott Hall must be teaching him so much at this time about, like, making your feuds. Because so far, Shawn has, like, been very passive about that i think but he will uh, do a lot more in the future and i feel like we're seeing the groundwork laid for that now it's partly what i was talking about with cm punk too though is sure. you got to be pissed off if you don't get booked the way you think you deserve mm. or you don't ever go anywhere because what you're seeing partly in razor ramon is a guy who was the diamond stud in wcw and he's pissed off that he was the diamond stud. He's pissed off that he like the partly why he tried to bury Ric Flair is because he was he felt disrespected because he never did anything in WCW. He was never awarded any opportunities. Mm. And sometimes you don't like the attitude of those people, and sometimes they misbehave, and sometimes it's very gross, and sometimes it shouldn't be done. But again, if you're booking people for the long haul, you want to book the guy who feels slighted. If he doesn't get as far as he thinks he should, because that means he's got a vision. That means he believes in himself. That means he thinks he can do better. And I think in part, you're watching a man who is for the first time getting the opportunity he thinks he deserves. And he is responding in a very positive way to that. And he is proving this is what happens when you have confidence in me. Yeah. Yeah. He's really running with you here. I think in wrestling, uh, in society and life, you often need people who are going to push who are going yeah. to try to push forward, and sometimes it doesn't go well, you know, and that's, I think, the price of progress, but uh, sometimes you're going to discover some stuff that is going to be so good in the future, and it's going to just drive everything forward to a better place, and that that is the kind of thing that Scott Hall is doing right now. His skill set, too, is, you know, if he was just a body, he would be as good as half the guys that get pushed in WWF for that reason. Mm. He, like sometimes when you get into how smart he is and how much he understands the business, then you also forget that he's six foot seven and looks like Scott Hall. So it's amazing to me. And again, like it's another guy who he doesn't look like a Lex Luger. Like he he has a good body and a big body, but it looks like it would not be affected as much by a steroid scandal. So again, you know why we choose Diesel and not someone like Razor, whose body type also doesn't really change. You know. It's just baffling that, he, that they didn't do more with him, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be, it's, to some extent, the personal life, like that factor in, because for all that I, I don't like Kevin Nash, I think certainly he was willing to like put in that commitment and that time and like that level of stuff. And Scott Hall, I just think probably never was, you know, just knowing what we know of his personality. So uh, it's unfortunate. As I said, we're going to keep unearthing him as we go along, but uh, there's a lot of what could have been with Scott Hall. Again, too, is that more earthy, low affect. Like Kevin Nash and Bret Hart can both go do their job. You, like it's, If something bad happens to them, I think they can compartmentalize. 
I got to go to Target or I got to go somewhere and sign these autographs. I got to go do my job. Mm-hmm. And Scott Hall, I think, falls on the other side of that line with uh, Michaels in that they are very emotionally driven. And so I can see Diesel, you know, people get the belt, I guess, for why they do. And if nothing else, I think Diesel will be a secure champion for Vince McMahon's needs. What uh, I was thinking about this the other day as we were preparing for the show. What uh, what element is Scott Hall to you? Oh dear God! <laughs> oh my gosh! Woo! Number one, I don't know if Scott Hall even knew who Scott Hall was, so that makes it more difficult for everybody. Because he's a he's a bit of a con man on top of everything else. Mm. Uh, so, jeez, I can see some water. Uh, I can see oh. Jeez, it's a tough one because like I would need to. I think I need to know more about Scott Hall because I think between the drugs and between just his deceptive nature, it's harder sometimes to know. What do you see him as? I, I would go with water. I think it's the only thing that fits him. Uh, if he's water, he is a river with a lot of rapids. You know, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uh, waterfalls and whirlpools and stuff. But to me, I gotta go with water because I just don't think anything else really fits him. Uh, he's a tricky one, so we'll think on that more as we go along, but I'm going with water right now. I think water, that's what came to mind for me, too, because this is why he's so amazing, though, because maybe this is the trick of water is that you can see them as anything else as well. And, like, if he had cared more minus the addiction and just been, like, a top world champion, I think he would have elicited uh, sky feelings for fans and for people. Yeah, I think there's some fire and some some dark, ugly stuff that comes in with the addiction. And he's one of the smartest people in the business. So there's a little bit of earth. And so I think all of that together means he is water. And that's the, the thing about water is I really believe like, I think a good con person, I'm not saying all water people are con people cause they're not, but like when you can change form so easily and so fast, it's hard for your, for you to even know like who you are because it's so easy to fit the context. You know, he could have been a world champion, but then he could be like a sidekick in the clique. You know, he can be a lot of different things. Mm. Even in his pro, like when I do listen to his shoots, like they'll make fun of Goldberg for being a mark or they'll make fun of Bret Hart for being a mark. And then like you'll watch another one and they're taking their stuff so seriously. Like, you know, <laughs> that you could say the same thing about them. Yeah. I think he's water, and I think water. I'm glad that you brought that up because we don't have enough water in our conversations. No, no, it's a little more rare. So uh, we see a lot of earth and fire in wrestling, I think, and it's harder to find the sky people, the water people. So yeah. I'm always on a lookout for them. Yes, Razor. What do you What do you think Jericho is? Oh, he's water for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, he's he's the most watery water guy I can think <laughs> of. I think. Man, I like your concept about the rapids, though, because, you know, it's, it's got to be tough to be water and, you know, and also be out of control. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we're going to see the way he bounces around in time, and uh, you can't ignore that. But, man, just uh, at his best, uh, Scott Hall is up there, I think, with almost anybody. So uh, the way he wrestles, the way he approaches, the way he thinks, you know, he he's just a top talent. So I can't wait to see a lot of great Razor Ramon stuff. You better believe we're going to be covering the the one two three kid saga okay. uh, when we go along here. That is history, and again though, that is Razor continuing to make people, and it's early on, so you get you got to make Razor for five seconds before he starts making other people. 
Right, and I mean, I don't know the story of that, but you got to believe that's something that Razor didn't have to do. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm sure he could have passed that on to someone else or just say, no, that doesn't work for me, man. So yeah. the way it goes down, like, it's going to be great stuff. He wrote, according to Scott Hall, whether this is true or not, and I might be getting my facts wrong because it just came to mind, but I think he wrestled Chris Jericho. We'll say it's Chris Jericho. Um, when Chris Jericho was kind of young in WCW on Nitro, Scott Hall pretty much without having the Hogan deal, they could do whatever they want because Bischoff, you know, was at their mercy. Uh, and so Razor is supposed to go out and beat Jericho and Jericho was getting hot and he just told Jericho, Hey, you're going to beat me. This is what we're going to do. And then like they went out and then Scott Hall, you know, according to his own claims, at least, uh, let Jericho go over, even though Bischoff thought it was going to happen completely opposite. And then, you know, Bischoff tried to confront him in the back, but it was pretty much useless. But when he talked about, you know, like one of the biggest things that he wanted to do was like, at some point, I don't need a rub. Like, I need to put other people over. I want to help other people. And so, like, sometimes he would just go into business for himself, according to him, to help other people. Yeah, he, he may have even done it too much, but uh, I'm not going to commit hard to that because I think wrestling needs more folks like that. Um, you know, Terry Funk types who, who make it their mm-hmm. mission at some point to just, like, make others, make Foley types. So. Yeah. Um, so that's great. You know, I wish he could have done more of it, but he kind of wasn't exactly in shape to do it at that point. But at least he tried, which is more than a lot of people do. And tried with the right people because Jericho, yes. that's what I love about Scott Hall. And that's what a lot of these guys, uh, Michaels and some of these other guys, they, they know what's right. They, they don't always behave right, but they know, they know who's who and what's what. And to put one, two, three kid over and to put Jericho over, before they were obvious shows that they know what's when someone's got it and when they don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you're talking about Goldberg and yeah, you probably kind of made fun of Goldberg. I don't doubt it, but, um, I don't know. Watching through, uh, you, you'll see Hogan avoid him. You'll see Kevin Nash beat him. Uh, you know, for the most part, who's in there putting him over Scott yeah. Hall will put him over multiple times, uh, in that career. So like, you know, uh, Scott Hall putting over people, you know, that means something for sure. So I, I respect that uh, he was in there doing that. Absolutely. Interesting to me is what comes up next because it's a, on paper is a head shrinkers match, but it's the head shrinkers taking on Virgil and Tito Santana and Tito has on new pants. And I thought Virgil and Tito did fairly well together. They did. You know, this is, um, Clearly, the point of this match is to be like a head shrinkers match, but it's also not a squash match. It's fairly competitive. So um, Tito and Virgil are both people, you know, the WWF is kind of trying to tell you, well, these are old people who don't matter anymore. But, yeah, no, they do very well for themselves. Tito especially, as always. Um, I want to put this on just because it looks fun, but also because uh, this is one of the last ever primetime matches, and uh, I thought it was worthy of inclusion for that as well. Yeah, it's got Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, and man, they're so good. That the trope that's been going on for years that Gorilla Monsoon has to pay for everything, and Bobby Heenan is cheap. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon calls him out on that last time that they were in Vegas. Bobby Heenan says, "I left my wallet in my other pants," and Gorilla Monsoon says, "You left your wallet in Beverly Hills. We were in Las Vegas." Bobby Heenan says, "Well, it's not that far." <laughs> That's spectacular. That's one more reason I wanted to put it on here, because I don't think we're going to have hardly any chances to hear them together anymore. For some reason, I don't know if it's Gorilla Monsoon's health or what, but 
they're not going to work challenge together very soon. You know, it's going to be Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan. Uh, they're already not working pay-per-views together. And it's just a shame, you know, you'd think they would move heaven and earth to make this team still be together, but they're really uh, kind of going to forget about it before it even happens. So um, definitely wanted to put it on for that reason as well. Yeah, it's the same same reason I'm going to compliment Vince McMahon just for having the guts to make some of the choices that he makes. There's always a consequence even in the compliment, which is it's so awesome that he can take the risks that he takes, but then it always turns into, oh, we, we've settled on the new generation, so everybody on this side of the line is gone and everybody on this side of the line is good. You know, you can have, you can, you can have a little bit of both. It's not going to end the world. There, there's always debate, is Vince McMahon uh, a genius, or is he uh, maybe something else on the other side of genius? And um, yes. <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't really think he's a genius. Uh, certainly he has his moments. But I think – I haven't even thought about this much, so I might even not agree with myself. But I feel like sometimes all he really does is make these big decisions and like take big chances and he's not always even thinking about like whether they're good or not but like it's just a question of oh we're gonna be dynamic we're gonna shake it up we're gonna change everything and that leads to some good and some bad and i don't know if he's thinking critically sometimes about like one thing or the other you know so i don't know it's just a very strange thing with Vince McMahon. I agree with that. I think there's a lot more courage in that, though, at sure. this time when it's a private company. It's his company. He might go to jail. It's not doing that great. And you shake things up versus being owned by half the world and being a corporate uh, guarantee and then shake things up as a gimmick where someone comes out once a year to surprise you by shaking things up. So <laughs> yes, nowadays, definitely... mostly his bold decisions are, hey, the fans hate this. Let's do it <laughs> ten times yeah. as much. So Yes. So it's just when your back's against the wall, that, that's the thing I'll give him, I think, is when his back is against the wall, he's done some of his either best work at times or just like, oh, my God, hey, I, I wouldn't have went there, but he went there. You know, he tried that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely. I like the, the thing I like about Virgil and Tito is baby faces. They know how to quickly come in and hit a move or two that pops the crowd. Uh Tito, especially, obviously a better wrestler, can do like a little bit of power, can do like scientific wrestling, can do high risk. Uh, Virgil has the punches. He can do some drop kicks. He can do a variety of things. So they just they just popped for me. The crowd was into them. And it just reminds me like I kind of kind of fell on Tito. Like he's had a few bland matches after I made grand declarations. But this was another one that reminded me of just how much possibility he has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think Virgil did uh, perfectly well, but Tito, like, the crowd was hot for him right away. He's in there, he's doing these fast moves, he's getting hot tags later in the match, really popping the crowd and just reminding you all over again, like, how great Tito can be, and the fact that uh, he's almost out the door, I believe, is just, uh, it's really a shame, I think. It is, and, you know, when the crowd's into it, and he's he's not only a singles wrestler now, he was a great tag wrestler and he just proves how much he could be one again. Yeah. Man, just give that man something. Hey, why do we need him though when we have the natural disasters and the nasty Ooh. boys and uh all these others, so <laughs> No, no sir. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think uh, the biggest surprise for me is like I've heard all this BS like when I was a kid, oh Flair had a temperature when he lost the belt. I, I never bought that. And then Bret Hart apparently had a temperature at one time. I didn't buy that. <laughs> But you know truth when you hear it. And, like, 
I never heard this my whole life, but apparently Ric Flair, when he lost the belt to Bret Hart, never gave up. He thought the referee said, does it hurt? And he said, yes. And that, that damn referee called the bell just yeah, for that. Yeah, controversial. Bobby that's controversial. That's a great revelation in this match. <laughs> Bobby Heenan shares that truth with us and uh, bravely does so. And only Monsoon tells him to get a life and Heenan <laughs> yeah. tries to fire him. So, uh, you know, that's what you get for speaking the truth. I want to know who was refereeing because you, you, you don't have a dialogue. Like you ask, do you want to give up? Like once you introduce like other questions into the equation, the whole thing is compromised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to think it was Hebner or Morella, and yep. know, they they are both shady in their own ways. So uh, you know, it is what it is. What a shame! And you, like when the babyface response is, you say, "Is get a life," then you know, like, hey. <laughs> He, he might have hit something. Yep, you're not even getting a dialogue back. Oh, my God. that I got to praise Monsoon for that delivery, though. Yes. A, it amazes me still that uh, at the time, there were people who did not appreciate Gorilla Monsoon as a commentator. He's mm. just absolutely one of my all-time favorites. Like, his delivery on that line, just, like, praise him to high heavens, please, because he is so good. You have to understand him, and then I think you know that he's great. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, once you get into the context, and this is why I think Jim Ross struggles beginning, because WCW didn't really have context and set up and payoff. They just did their work. Yeah. You know, that's what Jim Ross tries to do in the beginning. It's so dry and bland because, uh, actually, you know who says it? Rob Bartlett says it's the, the best, actually. Uh, he said that Bobby Heenan and Girl Monsoon were like Lucy and Ethel. So if anybody's ever watched I Love Lucy, you know what that means. And, that's exactly what they're like. They have their whole dynamic. Damn it. Are you going to make me like Rob Bartlett before this show is over? <laughs> Rob Bartlett is a hero in some ways. And, oh, my uh, God. I don't know how to deal with that. So, okay. <laughs> I will I will go ahead and give away the big spoiler. I don't know how many people know this or they don't know this. Okay. WWF didn't fire Rob Bartlett. Rob Bartlett quit WWF. And he told Mr. Man wanted him to stay. And he told Mr. Man... I'm not doing anything to help your product. Like nothing that I'm doing is working and you know, like I shouldn't be there and they tried to get him to stay, but like he knew he wasn't enhancing the product. So he didn't want to do it anymore. Damn it. This is my, this is the biggest turn on me since, uh, I started actually <laughs> liking David Arquette, not for being champion, but just for like the way he talks about it. And like, man, I'm just shocked at this. Cause this, this is why I don't always, I can't always trust my instincts. Cause I have in my notes, Written evidence that, uh, you know, I, I would have guessed Vince McMahon, like, fired him yes. uh, immediately. Like, I don't even feel like Vince is having fun next to him on Raw. But uh, it just shows you, you like, sometimes you don't know. So that is interesting. I don't think Vince liked him or felt like it was working. But I think it was the, you know, eventually it'll catch, you know, it'll we'll figure it out. It'll do this or that. Right. But, like, it was his, at least according to him, I don't know why he would lie about it because, no, I believe that entirely. You know, I, I I just don't know what to think. I'm gonna have to process that and wait till we get up to Raw here. Same. And I had the same feeling. I, the first one I watched, like it was like, oh my gosh, it's a, a train wreck. But at the same time, it's exactly what they brought him in to do. So again, even that train wreck is not on him. <laughs> I'll talk about it in a bit, but just like I feel like there's pain in Vince McMahon's laughter. Uh, a few times on this show we're yes. coming up to. So, okay. All right. Interesting. 
But there's pain because there's a comedian beside you who's never watched wrestling and doesn't understand the context and doesn't understand how you do the job, and you hired him for all of those reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it, it is. It is. If you want, if you if you're a fan of cringe and you're a fan of being uncomfortable, it is definitely something to walk, go back and watch. Oh my gosh! Uh, back to this match. Um, what do we have, Virgil? Hits a double DDT, which I was surprised at. It looked good, but I should have known because Samoans have invincible heads, so they no-sell it. And uh, they kind of come back, and they get that victory. So big push for the head shrinkers. I think Bobby Heenan says in this match, uh, there's not a tag team out there that can beat the head shrinkers. So we'll see if that is true as we move along here. Yeah, it is a good push, but there's also another team on the move, so there's going to be a collision coming up soon. I'm excited. Like, WrestleMania 9, most people are like, oh, Shawn Michaels and Tatanka had, like, the best match in the opener, and I'm iffy on that match. To me, the show stealer is Steiners versus Head Shrinkers, so that is the match I am most excited to revisit at WrestleMania 9. Yeah, I've not heard that many people talk positively about that first match, so... (laughs) I mean, it's on a relative scale. I think uh, if people were forced to pick the match of the night, they would go with that one. But I strongly feel Steiners and Head Shrinkers outperformed. I've never thought that was a good match. It's so... Thank you! kind of dominating (laughs) him, and... I like... I'll have to rewatch it because it's been a long time, but I got a feeling that I would prefer Shawn Michaels and Max Moon to that match. (laughs) <laughs> it's entirely possible, so we'll we'll get there as we go along. Folks, this is history. This is Legacy Series. This is the first Raw. It takes place on January 11th, 1993, from the Manhattan Center in New York. And never forget, folks, you who think that this is the longest-running yada, 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 and the greatest this and the greatest that, Raw was kicked off by Sean Mooney. Yes, the legend himself, still around for a little while at least, not yet Todd Penningale, um, yes. thankfully. Can you imagine if Todd Penningale kicked off the first Raw, how wrong that would be? I think it would be wrong and also would be right. In <laughs> That's fair, it would be accurate, um, so we'll, yes. we'll leave it at that. Um, Sean Mooney is indeed live on the streets of New York. He is outside. He says everybody is inside. There's nobody out here anymore except Bobby Heenan is here, and he is denied entry because he has been replaced by Rob Bartlett, and it's a great bit, but even reading that bit in my notes uh, gives me some pain. Just the fact that that could have been true even in a storyline sense is is shocking to me. My first note was, you were replaced by Rob Bartlett, not having parentheses. I don't remember him. <laughs> so I didn't even know wise, who that was. Uh, wise to forget such a thing. I get, yeah. where was where was the little mistake in 1993? Was he watching this when it came on? I don't know. The one I had one memory, and this tells it. I think where wrestling was a few weeks into Raw, maybe a few months. I was either at a baseball game, like a local baseball game, with my brother, or we were practicing at night. And then we were like, oh, my gosh, Raw comes on tonight. And, like, we had forgotten. And it was, like, 8 or 9 o'clock. So <laughs> I think we were still wrestling fans, obviously, but it, it had become secondary in our lives at this time. Uh, I understand. That can happen. Uh, what a thing, though, to be young and not to know what day it is. So that's something. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much so much fun back then because then you go tape it. And the main – I remember – the only thing I remember, we were like, oh, yeah, Doink is wrestling somebody. I don't know who. And, like – it was in this place, which I think this is where WWF likes to be, where you're not excited about it, but 
but you also like it enough to watch it. <laughs> the sweet spot, yes. Yeah. Oh my, oh boy. For a company that just wants the casual fan, I think in that moment we were kind of a picture of the casual fan because we forgot it was on, but then we wanted to get home and tape it or watch it later or something. <laughs> That's fair. I'm all about that. Sean Mooney looks at the camera and just shows this uncomfortable face. Like he's so good at his job, you know. He's not being one of these gorilla monsoons or Vince McMahon's. Like he's not taking great pride in the fact that Bobby Heenan can't get in the building. He's more just uncomfortable being the one that has to tell him. Oh, Sean Mooney, the most professional uh, presenting person that the WWF maybe ever had. <laughs> so we got to praise him for that. Yes. And this is another one. Part of what they wanted, they wanted to be in the same place in New York. They wanted, and this is why I said this is almost more Vince Russo and Attitude Era, because part of what they wanted, they wanted people to mess up their lines. They didn't want it to be, like, perfectly done. They wanted it to be like, oh, I'm watching something in real time, and it's live, and it's uncut, and anything can happen. And these are people, like, saying stuff, you know, and they might not get it right at first. And they want to show the street. They want to show people walking around. They want things to kind of go in the ring, out of the ring, like things happening at all times. So for the year it's in and for the company, it, just, it does blow my mind mm. that even before their backs were against the wall, when they kind of, this man created kind of this uh, more New England, uh, certain kind of approach to pro wrestling. And now like this is about as opposite of his brand, I feel like, as it can be. But he's also the one that's out here like, doing this now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it has a very different feeling. Everything that came before, like, um, it it feels like we're we're suddenly years past, like the times of prime time and TNT and all this other stuff. So that's um, it's a big change, absolutely. You won't find the, the stage in that building. You know, that's you couldn't imagine it there if you wanted to. Right, right. There isn't room for it. So. Even Bruce Pritchard said that he got upset about because they were had this long um, Dino Clinton doing the uh, what is it called? Gonna have to do more than that, my friend. <laughs> I don't know. It's in this episode. It's Gene Oakland's only thing that he does, like the, oh, the event the, center, like yeah, that kind of thing. And okay. Bruce thought that that had no business on the show because that was like a relic that Vincent Man for some reason Vincent Man didn't let go of that, but he let go of everything else. Interesting. Uh, I don't know how to exactly process someone being offended by the event center, but um. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my so this God. is again. I want to say I I love the Manhattan Center. Um, you know, whenever anybody runs this, I love that it looks different than most venues. Like this is another thing because WWF they almost never do this. Like other shows look the same by design, so to have a, a show in this venue with yeah. this look, like. It's so different than what they would usually do, and I really appreciate that. My first thought is they're ripping off the ECW arena in that vibe. <laughs> that was my first thought when I watched hey, it. Hey, ECW like, will run the Manhattan Center many times, so yeah. uh, you know there's there's some kind of connection there. I think they may be here when ECW like shows up, so mm. you know that'll happen eventually. So that that's interesting as well. Yeah, uh, the show is Vince McMahon, Randy Savage, and Rob Bartlett. The first match on the history of Raw is going to be Yoko and Coco Beware. And I feel like Rob Bartlett comes closer to anybody else of ending Yokozuna before he gets going. Oh, my God. He cannot stop. He calls him Yokozuma for one yeah. thing, which I thought was wrong. But then I think Fuji says it, too. So I, I yes. don't want to think of that. <laughs> yes. 
To both of them, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's talking about his voice. diaper, and he's talking about how fat he is, and like yeah. every word he speaks is like a fat joke. I was unprepared. Like I'm sure I've seen Bartlett before, but I, I did not remember <laughs> what he was gonna be like. So I came in here ready to trash him, and the, the you've disarmed me a little bit, but uh, I'm still gonna trash him some. Oh yeah, we gotta be honest about all things in their context, and like the diaper stuff, and all like. Yoko hasn't even established himself, and you don't want the, the most villainous heel for the next two years to be like a, a baby in a diaper. <laughs> yeah, so true. I this is why I thought Vince was gonna like fire him immediately because this is not what commentators do in the WWF. It never has been. It never should be. It's the wrong thing to do. Um, and yet he will just go on and on with it and. <laughs> I don't know if I should praise or condemn Vince for this, but I don't think I've ever heard Vince McMahon laugh so much. I don't think he sincerely laughed one time in this whole right. show, but he will, like, force a laugh every time Bartlett opens his mouth. Yeah, and then later on, I feel like Randy Savage tries to become a comedian, too, and tries to make, make a lot of jokes. I think he's being influenced poorly. It just, the whole thing's out of control. Poor Randy Savage. What a place to be put. When you, less than a year ago, wrestled uh, an all-time classic against Ric Flair at WrestleMania, and now, now you're the old man in the booth who will get his hat stolen by the Repo Man and who has to play along with these two schmucks. Yeah. It reminds me of later on when MTV or VH1 will have like these looks at like an era or a show, and all you guys can need comedians making jokes. Like There's no dialogue. It's just like joke after joke, pun after pun, hit after hit. And the man has never watched pro wrestling, and he's a comedian. And all he's doing is taking shots at the obvious things. And I really think that Yokozuna was on <laughs> was on the border of losing that Royal Rumble <laughs> win if, if he wrestled more on Raw here. Oh my gosh, it's shocking. It really is. How did they talk about why he got hired in the first place, Rob Bartlett? Uh, yes, yes. I will. I will save that to the end too. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's very right. Vince McMahon, like everything else. <laughs> Um, I will say this, uh, also on commentary, Randy Savage will say his favorite is The Undertaker, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, he really screwed up your wedding, man. Are you sure you like <laughs> The Undertaker so much? So we'll just leave that where it is. It's sad that I heard that too and I didn't even put those two worlds together. <laughs> it feels like about 20 years ago, you know, when that yeah. clock ticked, when the calendar moved to 1993, Everything was literally ancient history immediately. Yeah, this is a Randy Savage. Like, he's going to be like the hype man for Lex Luger. You know, he, just, he is no longer, he, he no longer has ambitions of his own. And he's almost going to win the Royal Rumble in the same context. <laughs> yeah, somehow he like needs a walker to get down to the commentary booth. But he's also yep. going to, when they want him to be a wrestler, he'll still be a wrestler. But if not, he'll regress to about a thousand years old. Yes, absolutely. I like seeing Coco again. That was fun. Uh, Yoko hits a leg drop, um, the reverse corner splash, and then hits the bonsai drop to get yep, the win. Yep, it was a very fine squash. And uh, it's funny. We, we haven't watched many squashes. And of course, like squashes are squashes. But it's such a big part of wrestling in this period. Like squash matches were probably like 90% of the matches you would see on TV. So, um in a way, it's nice to kind of revisit that a little bit. You know, maybe you wouldn't want to watch that every week anymore, but there's there's value in these matches. You know, I, I appreciate them when they're done well. Yeah, especially at this time. Yeah. Because Yoko, 
is on the rise. You need to see this stuff happening. But I, I do think, remember how we reacted at Survivor Series, the way Yoko took the world by storm? Uh, watch that and then watch this match with the commentary going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a different feeling for sure. I'll say this in praise of Yokozuna, and I'm sure I will do so again, but I think there are very few people in history as good at stumbling as he is like you know like coco's hitting him with drop kicks at one point and just the way like the size he is the way he moves but then the way he will be like knocked off balance is great and he walks this line of being able to do some selling for these guys and yet at the end of the day like there's no question of who was like you know he doesn't lose anything for that so i gotta praise that piece of movement on yokozuna's part He's as good as it gets. The balance, the off balance. Oh, man, I just like watching people bounce off Yoko. Oh, yeah, so fun. Again, no no disrespect to Earthquake, but everything he was supposed to be Yoko is, and Yoko's not even in the context of his push yet. Oh, man, Yoko's We're going to have to evaluate where he sits at the end of all this because, you know, there's Andre and there's Vader. Mm. Is Yokozuna number three? I don't know. Like I've said, I put Big Boss Man in that spot before, and I'm not gonna back down from that easily. But certainly, I think in the conversation of like top five, Yokozuna has to be. That that's my feeling as well. Yeah, and I think we can only do it after we've had the the, the run because this is yeah. a guy that's gonna he's gonna be world champion. He's gonna dominate, and he's gonna be like a tag champion with Owen Hart. So yeah, he's gonna do know. a lot here. I'm interested. There's a lot of Yokozuna I haven't seen, so I'm very interested. We're going to see Yoko Invader at some point. We will. We will. Probably not when uh, we, we wish we would have seen it. Yeah. But uh, even so, I think I'll find some joy in that match that maybe others will not. Yeah. So I think Vince has to explain to us that Bobby Heenan is still outside the building, but this is something else. So we're going to go to a video of Bobby Heenan speaking of narcissists. Narcissus. 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 Um, yeah. Narcissus. Yeah. Whatever the name is. Um, yeah. So... This promo is interesting and also not because on the one hand, um, it's uh, I can't believe Bobby Heenan. This is kind of, I, I love Bobby Heenan. Everyone knows, so it hurts me to say this, but kind of lazy on his part because he will go back to the exact same phrase he used when Flair was coming in, and he will talk about ice cream and horse manure, and he will kind of uh, just recycle that pretty blatantly. So I was a little surprised at that, but. My favorite part of this promo is that Heenan will talk about how both he and Ric Flair agree yeah. that Narcissus is the best. So I guess finally Ric Flair putting over Lex Luger uh, <laughs> in absentia here. Absolutely. That was the only part I popped for because I felt the same way. Like Ric Flair and I both agree. So I was like, do they not? I'm not sure about that because he's not going to not out here saying it himself. So that'll tell you something. Yeah. I disliked this as a child, and I disliked it now. And I like I, one thing. I think Bobby Heenan was getting towards the end of things, but he's still doing great outside Raw. But like, he also did not like this, and I don't blame him because you know, he wasn't very comfortable with the whole thing. Right. And the, the gimmick sucked is another thing. Yeah. Like, I have all these notes of what he said, and I said all these all these things about narcissists, and I was like, cool, but this is going to be like Sluger, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You wouldn't even know. Uh. It's, so it's strange, a gimmick that you yeah. give to someone who has never been in pro wrestling. Right, yeah. It's just so weird. It's a weird fit. I don't know why you got to treat him like he's going to be Rick Rude or something. Like, yeah. it's just, they're not the same. Like, they're pretty different. So, it's just very weird. 
it's so contained and so inauthentic. Mm. It's like everything else in the world that Lex Luger is part of, everything is wonderful until he gets there and then they stop doing things. So like even Bobby Heenan's not Bobby Heenan anymore when it's time for Lex Luger to come in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there will be opportunities left on the table there for sure. So he's on his way. Uh, He's beyond perfection and we will see who he is at the Royal Rumble. Boy, will we. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next up is another debut from the WCW slash NWA as we see the Steiner Brothers going up against the Executioners. Oh, man. Steiner Brothers are here. I got to say, this is probably my favorite match on Raw here uh, on this first episode. It's just another squash. They're squashing a team called the Executioners, which is two jobbers in masks. But, man, very few people, I think, do squash matches better than the Steiners because they're just in here doing murders on these poor guys. So this this is highly entertaining to me. Yeah. Uh, the goofy clown is in the background, so Doink <laughs> is in the crowd during this match. It's the Steiner brothers being introduced in a way because God knows nobody's ever seen them before. This <laughs> man says, Rick Steiner, he's a dog of sorts. <laughs> And that probably encapsulates everything you need to know about this run. Also, I always have mixed feelings because a lot of folks are, like, down on this run for the Steiners. And I understand because they came from WCW where they were, like, basically in the main event, even though they were a tag team. They would fight, like, Luger and Sting and they do all this amazing stuff. And they're not going to be treated that way in the WWF, so I get it. And yet, they will have so many incredibly fun matches in this run that I don't like being too far down on it because we're going to see some great stuff from the Steiners in spite of it all. I'm going to judge it as it goes because I am one of those people who found it disappointing because I was so used to them in the NWA and WCW. It's a lot like their Hasbro wrestling figures, folks. (laughs) If you go look at the WCW Galoob uh, Steiner Brothers. That's the Steiner Brothers, and those Galoob figures are made out of a lot, and they hit hard. And even the Hasbro figures of the Steiners in WWF, they look like people who are supposed to be the Steiners almost a little more than the Steiners. <laughs> and it always felt like to me this is something close to the Steiners, but not actually the Steiners. But as I watch it back and I'm detached from it, and we're watching matches. I do wonder if my mind will be changed because it's still the Steiner brothers when they get in the ring. So it'll be interesting because I had been watching wrestling for only two years, not even two full years, but Jim Ross to me wasn't quite Jim Ross. The Steiners weren't quite the Steiners. Lex Luger wasn't quite Lex Luger. So it was a baffling phase in my life. (laughs) I can only imagine. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. I'll just put forth um, that even if we discover that the Steiners are more like uh, people who are almost the Steiners, almost the Steiners is still pretty good. So I think we'll find some entertainment uh, regardless. And, okay, so here's something that we can talk about because Bruce Pritchard uh, tried to go the other way. Uh, He definitely was not for them being just that. What Bruce Pritchard pitched to Vince McMahon is to bring in Scott Steiner and have him win the Royal Rumble and go to WrestleMania and win the world title. Who? Really? <laughs> Accordingly. Allegedly. Um, Allegedly, yeah. I don't know. I love Scott Steiner, but I feel like that would have been a huge mistake. Like... I don't know. Does, does Scott Steiner feel like he's ready to be a singles world champion 
right now. Like, he's an amazing wrestler, but, like, you hear him talk, and I don't know. Like, it would have been incredibly different than anything I would have been expecting, that's for sure. I think that's how Vince McMahon had this, the, the response of, like, who the hell is he and how the hell is he going to win the world title? And I think what Bruce was pitching is we're going into an era that is completely new. So what if a guy comes from nowhere and wins it and then wins the belt? And then it's ours to create everything after that. But, like, you know, the coming out of nowhere is kind of part of what this era is about. I suppose. I mean, they'll do it with Yokozuna. Um, it's pretty much the same thing you're describing because yeah. he debuted almost the same time. So I understand the idea. I think it's a good one, but just why Scott Steiner? It hurts me to argue against Scott Steiner because I think he, he can be an incredible wrestler, um, just like eye-popping. And, uh, you know, he's got a certain something that very few people do. But in 93, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel right to me. So I think Vince was probably right to pass on that. Yeah, I think they said, number one, like his moves are unlike anybody's, anybody's anything anybody's doing. And then that is true. This is this is a little disrespect. Like they're like he's got a charisma that Rick Steiner doesn't have, which makes me I I hate hearing that because there's this whole run that Scott Steiner had that I did not expect to enjoy, and then it was amazing. Like I, at the end of WCW, Scott Steiner to me was one of the the, the treasures that they had. Absolutely. But that doesn't change the fact that before Scott Steiner, there was a Rick Steiner that had something that Rick Steiner never quite had again. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, what, in 88, 89, we were looking at that and we were asking, man, should he be, like, world champion? And I think probably still the answer was no, but, like, he was in that conversation at least, so. So I don't mind hyping Scott, but I don't like doing it at the expense of Rick. No, no. I think to be honest about the Steiners, you have to kind of look at how, uh, at least in the 90s, they sort of, like, crossed each other in a weird way because, yeah, like, at the start, you've got Rick Steiner being, I think, clearly superior, and then at the end, Sky Steiner has, like, gone up, and Rick Steiner has gone way down, so you can't really talk about them in the same way at the same time. You have to have a lot of context for that conversation. So, what would you say are the pros and cons? Let's say we decide Yoko, like, Rob Bartlett killed Yokozuna on the first edition (laughs) of Raw. Like we did polls, and now like nobody can take him seriously. So we, either Scott Steiner is going to win it, or Mister Perfect's going to win it. The Rumble and the title. Rumble and title. Scott, I I like Mister Perfect more, but he was already he's going to have a great run in '93. We're going to see an amazing match later on in the show, but he's already giving off (laughs) and now i'm gonna sound like vince just trying to like throw people out before they're done but he feels like he's from a previous era and i think that is not the way you want to go right now i think the best argument too for scott is that if you're gonna go babyface versus babyface bret hart and scott steiner are both like the nicest human beings ever until they get pissed off and then they're the worst human beings ever (laughs) and i think they would have had an interesting dynamic with each other we are definitely going to cover at some point. I forget when it happens exactly, but there is a match, Brett and Owen Hart versus the Steiner brothers. Oh, my God. And it yes. is a wonderful match, and we are definitely going to cover it. So I'm excited to get to that. And maybe we'll see some insight into what that match could have been like when we check out that tag match. My answer would still be no for him winning it, but I do wonder if people in the back saw kind of 
the Scott Steiner that we're going to see later before we ever saw it on screen. It's possible, and I'll say I understand the instinct. I think he would have been better than a lot of other choices because I think when you've got a guy who can do things in the ring that nobody else can do, who can just physically impress people like nobody else, there's a lot of value in that. Like, if you'd pitch that same thing for him to come in and be IC champion, I would have been like, hell yes, give it a shot, see what happens. But I don't think you go to the world title that quickly with a guy like Scott Steiner because he does have his drawbacks, especially in 93. He's still got kind of limited experience. You know, he's basically, uh, you know, not really got any promo ability that you want to use at this time. Um, So there are drawbacks, but I understand the instinct. I'm not dismissing it out of hand. Yeah, it's a good impulse and it's a good conversation. Um, Back then, I thought Rick had all the charisma and Scott was awkward and and cringy. So certainly in promos, I think. Yeah, it's all in personality, you know, but maybe like I said, maybe there was something already backstage, but it's a bit it would have been. We're talking about taking risk, you know, that would have been would have been a hell of a risk, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I can say I'm also a little surprised. If only uh, Scott had had like his freaky muscles from later, then maybe Vince would have gone with it. So <laughs> Yeah. And Scott again you could employ Owen with Brett and Rick with uh Scott if you're gonna do that. So Sure, sure. There's a lot of possibility. Or you could not sign Rick and Rick could be a WCW wrestler and Scott could be a WWF wrestler, which would be interesting too. Could have been. I think I remember reading this. I, remember, I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought Rick and Scott will eventually leave the WWF in part because they want to break him up and they want to make him yes. feud and they wouldn't go for it. So That is true. So that's interesting. They'll certainly have no problem doing that uh, in years later. Um, so it's interesting they wouldn't do it here. Man, I think even what provokes this conversation is just – it's no offense to Yoko because I think he's just as good a win as anybody else. Sure. But it really feels like anybody, just pick anybody in the Rumble and they could have won this thing. (laughs) It feels open. They do have a chance now to make somebody entirely new. Uh, So I guess my next question is, would Scott Steiner also have been defeated by Hulk Hogan's skeleton in five seconds after winning the title? (laughs) So... I think the answer is supposedly no in that in that situation, but like that doesn't mean that Vince and Hogan wouldn't get it done anyway. It just it negates everything when we're talking about this. How it feels? Oh, it's like it's an exciting new generation. We got Razor Ramon, Yokozuna, the Steiners, all these guys. We have a chance to make something totally new, and yet freaking Hulk Hogan is gonna put that title around his bony waist at WrestleMania, and we're just all gonna have to lump it. So it just negates everything. Like you can't even think beyond that point because it's just it's it's a huge barrier in the way i think the inter- the most interesting thing is for all the hype that bret hart has you got all these different conversations but none of them is bret hart keeps the belt through wrestlemania i think as much as we have praised bret hart and i think rightly look at this run it's not exciting you know yeah. like he is not driving the interesting things and it's it's weird because he was driving a lot with piper and piper helped him a lot of course but he drove something with bulldog that was interesting as like he won the title and became like the boring bret hart the one that you kind of want to like dismiss mm-hmm. and make fun of i mean it shouldn't have happened, but you kind of understand why he was there, like, waving Hogan on at WrestleMania, you know, like, he's not yeah. getting the job done. And I don't even think it's his fault. Like, it's the booking around him, but it's just not happening right now. And that is partly why Brett is going to suck in WCW and be one of the best in WWF is because more than most 
He needs the book. You give him the right booking and he'll take it to the moon. You give him the wrong booking and he can't even he couldn't get out like he can't get out of the basics off of it. <laughs> so. Absolutely, yeah. You have to wonder and like the pieces don't fit, so it couldn't have happened exactly like this, but Bret Hart working with a creative team like Hogan had at his peak where every angle um had like a good incident every feud had like some bigger thing going on something to sink your teeth into what would that have been like i mean we'll never know but only if only it could have it would have been very interesting yeah it's also i think there's more growth between when brett loses the belt at wrestlemania 9 and when he wins it back at 10 than going from an IC wrestler to the guy who beats Flair off screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll benefit tremendously from the Owen Hart stuff and uh, some other yes. stuff happening in that time. So we got a lot coming up with Bret Hart. You know, in some ways, he, this reign has been disappointing, but this is a reign that almost everybody agrees almost shouldn't have happened. So he's still he's still in the plus right now in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think so. I'm not so down on it. I think uh, there's just a good reason that they're going to change gears. Yes. But for what they gave him, I think he's done pretty well. You know, winning the title off screen and having these feuds, which are not feuds mostly. Like, he's doing what he can. He's doing a good job. But it's just not quite the place and time that it should have been. Yeah. So we go back to Sean Mooney. Um, <laughs> he's approached by someone who looks like Adrian Adonis, but isn't. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, if only. <laughs> Love to Adrian Adonis. Um, yes, Bobby Heenan is in drag. He needs to come in and see his nephew, Ron Bartlett. And uh, it does not work out. And Sean Mooney is very disdainful when he uncovers this deceit, which he uh, did not know about at first, apparently. So, man, Sean Mooney is as good as any. Like, I don't know if Okerlund himself could have sold this as well as Mooney does. I got to show so much love for this guy. I agree. I don't think there's a better quote right before he leaves the company than I thought I'd seen everything in the WWF. <laughs> That's a good exit, uh, exit commentary. Yeah, absolutely. And then it goes over to like an image of uh, things to come and you can hear Bobby Heenan in the back still begging to get in, which not only is the greatness of Bobby Heenan, but it also captures what they're trying to do with Raw, which is, you know, like everything that is going over the boundaries that like we're trying to show Razor Ramon because he's going to be interviewed, but Bobby, you can still hear Bobby Heenan begging to get into the building. <laughs> it's uncooked as they like to Unco- say. uncut and uncensored. <laughs> what man, nothing should ever be uncensored. I think in wrestling, like it, it never leads <laughs> no. to it's uncensored. It's always a bad thing. Yeah. It never is. I think, <laughs> oh, okay, this is kind of gross, but here, I'm always feel weird when Vincent Mann's interviewing people because to me, I would feel like I'm being assessed even while I'm doing my interview. (laughs) Don't worry, because in a few years, somebody's going to uh, give him what for in about three years. So three or four years. Yep. It is Vincent Mann with Razor Ramon and Razor has a lot to answer for in his behavior lately. Oh, yeah. But uh, I don't think Razor Ramon would agree with that statement. Uh, He talks about how he was born ready for this opportunity. Um, Vince McMahon gives us the line on Bret Hart, which is, uh, oh, well, he worked eight and a half years to get to the top. Razor is very unimpressed by this. He says in eight and a half months or less, he got to the same spot, which, you know, actually that's a fair point. So point to Razor. That's a great flip because I'm so sick of these narratives already. (laughs) And the eight and a half years, uh, now say hello to Razor. I'm on eight and a half months and I caught you. 
to me, like, never say the eight and a half years again after that. Like, that thing's dead. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, uh, Bret Hart's only two points is like, oh, I worked a long time to get here, and I have technical ability, and, well, you got a guy who got the same place in a short amount of time, and he'll stab you, so, like, you have nothing on him, so. Yes. He talks again about uh, squashing Owen Hart, which, again, as you said, is the wrong, is the wrong move with Bret Hart, so that's the only place he's missing the mark here. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you toss Brett, there's nothing he can do about it. It's a very good promo. And once again, I just feel like Razor Ramon, like, grabbed the ball of this new generation and is running forward. Hey, with all this talk, man, I'm just thinking that Razor Ramon, he too could have won the Rumble if he had been in it. And he could have won at WrestleMania. I would have been just as happy with that. So, so much stuff going on. So many possibilities. Yeah, he throws the toothpick into Vince's face. Vince gives a very a look of disdain and then, like, He's a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's wild to me, and we'll we'll complain about this again and again, but man, look at all these rich possibilities that we're talking about, but what are we going to get? We're going to get Diesel, and we're going to get uh, Sid is going to have, like, all these big pushes, mm. and, like, just, they had so many great options at this time that they are just not going to fully take advantage of, and it's really disappointing to think about that. I've never seen the brakes put on the company harder than when diesel takes it over. And it's one thing for that to happen. But like you're saying, when there's so many opportunities, it's just, how do we get there? Yeah. And you want it to be X, Y, and Z. And it's really Lex Luger is standing in the back and here's like, Oh, he <laughs> looks like he still has his muscle. I like that. And then Luger's like, like Luger told D Kevin Nash, they're going to make you the world champ. He didn't hear them say they're going to make him the world champ. They just heard, he just heard Vince talking about Diesel's body in context to the post kind of steroid thing. And he told Kevin Nash that they're going to make you the world champion. <laughs> well, so. Luger uh, had the right insight for sure. So uh, I still can't I get over that narrative and how little sense it makes to me, but I'll just leave that alone for now. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Yes, indeed. So Tatanka is uh, talking about the headlock on Hunger, and then we come back to Max Moon challenging for the Intercontinental title. And apparently, at least I think the Conrad or somebody, I can't remember who said it, there's a lot of people that watch this match and somehow think that Max Moon is Conan. I don't even know, I don't even know how that happens, but no, that's not Conan, folks. <laughs> Well, I feel like we don't believe, have to say that to our audience, but it's, it sucks that somebody somewhere does. <laughs> it should be pretty obvious if you watch it. Um, yeah. I would say the Max Moon gimmick was uh, created for Conan. He was yes. intended to come in. So uh, if you're confused in that way, uh, sure. But watch the yeah. match and you will see that it is not yeah. Conan. So. It's not even that much of a match. There's a lot of face showing and it's there's also lot. wrestling happening. So Yeah, yeah. so you should be able to tell. Uh, I want to say about Tatanka, he does a little promo. And man, is he not just like a more sane but somehow less interesting Ultimate Warrior. I think I said that in the first week of this show. I think you on. did. I, I remember somebody saying that. I'm sure it was you. So that's very uh, insightful on your part. He has kind of the same, like he's got paint on his face and his mannerisms are sort of the same. And he'll like look up to an unspecified like deity at times. And yeah, yeah like I can understand the words he's saying, but also like somehow He's just flat on charisma, so I, I don't get it. I don't know how to book him. I think is because he's got I a do. decent look, don't. and you know he's not the worst thing that's ever happened. I guess, but like, is he? He's not 
a scientific wrestler. He's not exactly a high flying wrestler. He's not really a power wrestler. Like he's got a good stocky body, but he's not, you know, he's not quite anything. He's you know, he's circling around everything and not quite anything. I wouldn't have booked him. I'd have given his spot to Tito or somebody. <laughs> nice. But it is like Ultimate Warrior, I think, is a lot like kind of uh, an approach of Native American culture. And I don't know if that's supposed to be or if that's just kind of swiped. But this is a much more explicit version. But like, <sighs> I don't even like it when Hulk Hogan hulks up or the warrior does whatever he does. But then when you get like, – this is the era that introduces us to people who – Physically, you don't believe it. Like when Tatanka does whatever he does, and when Diesel revs the engines, <laughs> like if Diesel revs the engine, just kick him in his quad, <laughs> you know, be done with it. <laughs> and like Tatanka, like it, it's it's more insulting when it's you can't even pretend to believe it if you want to. So I don't know. Yeah, when he's dancing around and yipping, and that's like he's invincible when he does that. Like he's in a video game. It's not. It's not good. So all right. I don't know what you do with him. Like. It's like a lot of these. This is going to be this era. Like, if you, let's say your favorite wrestler was somehow Max Moon. You know, mm. how do you make Max Moon, you know, forever a star, like a long-term star? <laughs> That's a tough one to pick, so I'm not going to speak on that. Um, you know. I don't know. There's a lot of long-term stars in this era. Max Moon and Tatanka are not, not in that. They, they might as well come to the same place, you know. Tatanka might as well be looking up from the moon um, for all <laughs> I'm Max concerned. Moon looking down. So, yeah. <laughs> What a stupid world. This is and this is pre race car drivers and plumbers and everything yeah, to come. For sure. For sure. Oh dear. Okay, so Max Moon's gonna challenge for the belt. And I think Max Moon's also kinda of supposed to be from the future almost. Like he's you know, high tech or something with his <laughs> with his outfit and everything. I, I think I heard something about that one time. I believe so. I think uh when he first came in he had a lot more um kinda accessories. I think he had like a yeah. jet pack and other weird stuff going on, so I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> oh, dear, these conversations. Oh, boy. So I think uh, instead of me and Conan, I believe this is Paul Diamond, a.k.a. Kato of the Orient Express. Oh, and uh, okay. if I remember, I think Sean and he actually had their first match against each other. So it's a nice piece of history for you. That is interesting. Yeah. So he's now challenging for the IC title. It's not a bad match. I like the back and forth of it. I... I really liked it at the start, and then I kind of soured on it. And I don't know if it was the match, or the pace kind of got really slow, or maybe it was just the commentary, which I think this is the worst piece of commentary we have in the show. So something about it kind of soured me. But oh, no, God, I mean it's yeah. not it's not like a terrible <laughs> match. So yeah, Mike Mike Tyson joined. <laughs> Nobody ever mentions that Priest Steve Austin, Mike Tyson, already worked at WWF twice, twice style apparently. Yeah, because uh, he. He was on everybody's lips in the uh, Buster Douglas thing, too. So. That's right. This is, again, though, why you can think, as I do, that this is absolute trash. But this isn't Rob Bartlett's, dude. Like, Rob Bartlett, this is Vincent Man wants this for whatever reason. Like, in Vincent Man's <laughs> head, this was going to work. And like I said, like, I think I agree with you that when he heard it out loud, he already knew. Oh, he sounds like he's in pain. He sounds like he hates Rob Bartlett, like, already. <laughs> so every time Bartlett, like, makes a joke, and I'm not going to redeem Bartlett entirely because he'll make the same joke, like, ten times with, yeah. like, slightly different wording. Every time, this would be like, ha! You know, like, yeah. like did he laugh or maybe someone hit him in the stomach? I'm not sure, but, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. But you're right. I'm sure Rob Bartlett didn't walk up to Titan Towers and demand to come do a Mike Tyson impression on Raw, so... 
you know, there's blame to go around here. Yes. I have in the middle of the page, Vince, I don't know about that, McMahon. Because <laughs> that's also his way of getting around it. Like, Rob will say something and be like, I don't know about that, and then move on to the next stuff. Right. He'll say something, like, entirely counter to the narrative. And Vince, yeah, he will always say that. I can hear yes. him say that when you say it. It's always counter to the narrative. It's like, yeah, well, Yokozuna's a joke, huh, Vince? <laughs> it's like, well, he's going to win the World <laughs> Rumble, Rob, but, you know, sure. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. No, they do an endless bit in this match that you referred to, where Rob Bartlett does a Mike Tyson impression, and supposedly he's calling for prison because he's in prison <laughs> at the time because he's he's a rape, which is not something that I would want to like bring into the yes. joke. But okay, whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't. It just goes on and on. This match is like. I think more than 10 minutes, I swear, half of it or more is just about this joke. So, like, it's way too much. And there's no way, like, I feel like there's three or four times where Vince tries to transition, which means, like, hey, Mike Tyson's not with us anymore, but he doesn't say (laughs) it explicitly. And Rob doesn't seem to be someone who takes to small cues because then Mike Tyson will make his return. And there's, like, moments where, like, Vincent Mann seems surprised, like, oh, I didn't know we still had you on the line, Mike Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, Vince McMahon is like screaming uh, signals out here all through this yes. match, but Rob Bartlett is invulnerable to them. <laughs> oh, God, it's so bad. Okay. <laughs> you, you have reminded me of how bad it was. It's Ooh. awful. Oh, my gosh. If you watch this, I'm not going to recommend that you do, but if you do, no. just like revel with us for a minute and like how bad this is and just i don't know how this made it past one episode i was floored when you said that it was bartlett who chose to leave and i applaud him actually for having that insight i'm sorry he didn't have that insight after show number one but um you know here we are so geez oh man so like 13 episodes yeah yeah that's insane and again that's months this is the longest running episodic yada yada and look how it starts. <laughs> I really think the only way things work in the world is if it if it's dumbed down and sucks. Like comedies, like two and a half men is always going to be like a thousand years on the air, but then your favorite comedy that was doing something different is going to get canceled in the second season. Yep. And then this this is the beginning of Raw, folks. Then you can never take it back. <laughs> Rob Bartlett helped them survive all these years. He set the tone, I guess. So, my God. I think the only other thing is out of place is the fact that after Shawn Michaels hits the most wonderful side uh, super kick, he has to pick the guy up to do a side suplex. Yeah, that teardrop suplex they were trying to make happen. I'm, I'm glad they would drop that after short a short amount of time. He's going to wrestle Yokozuna eventually, so what was he going to do if he still was doing the side suplex? <laughs> yeah, exactly, for sure. And I love that they had to call it a teardrop suplex because he's the heartbreak kid, I guess. He'll no, make no. people cry. So I, I didn't hear that, and I wish I hadn't heard it now. <laughs> <sighs> you, you could be the most pushed wrestler ever in WWF, and you still got to overcome things just because it's <laughs> WWF. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Bossman is advertising uh, Mania, which I keep forgetting Bossman's here, but good to see him. Yeah, yeah. I, he'll be somewhere maybe in the Rumble, but yeah, he is not long for this world. This time uh, next year, he'll be the boss. So there you go. Yeah. I'm kind of finally looking forward to it now. <laughs> that was such a fun run. I look, yeah, it I was. That. And that's, again, how good he is. Though. He's going to go through seven gimmicks. 
And he's still going to be good no matter what you do to him or with him. He will. Even uh, Bubba Rogers or whatever he ended up yeah. as, even that was enjoyable. So I'll give him credit. Gene Erklin is doing the report segment, and he is talking about Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Apparently, Sherry is going to be at the Royal Rumble, but we don't know whose corner she's going to be in. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not against it, but I think it's interesting that they had, like, maybe the best setup that you could ever have for a feud with the barbershop segment, and they can't really leave it at that. they got to bring in this Sherry thing. I don't know if they just really wanted to do something with Sherry or if they didn't have faith in these two guys to kind of carry it on their own or what. But um, Sherry will be the big question mark at the Royal Rumble. I love the Shawn Michaels promo because he's talking about uh, Marjane. Then he's like, I haven't had a chance to talk to Sherry, but like she'll be in my corner. <laughs> this has been a while, so I think you had a chance. <laughs> it's a nice bit. Yeah, I'm not against it. Like I said, it's uh, it's an interesting extra bell and whistle to add on here. It's also, this is another reason I think Survivor Series sucks so bad because now they're back in, like, Shawn Michaels is back into the feud they was already in after that timeout for him to not really be anybody wrestling Bret Hart. <laughs> it's a strange progression, for sure. And then you got Marginetti, who's still dressed like a rocker over on the other side. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's yeah. a strange thing. It says it's going to be Marginetti Day at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> it will uh, not. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so. Then we get some names. We got, I think we get 22 names there in the Royal Rumble, including... Ric Flair, Tatanka, IRS, former WWF champion Bob Backlund, Jerry the King Lawler, Mr. Perfect, Ted DiBiase, Crush, The Model, Rick Martel, Yokozuna, Savage, Papa Shango, Earthquake, Berserker, The Undertaker, Carlos Colon, Great Tenru, Tito Santana, Typhoon, Samu Fatu, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> About half of those sounded good, and half of those I could have just left on the side, so. Agreed. <laughs> Uh, we hear from Perfect, we hear from Yoko and Fuji, and we hear from Hagsaw, and uh, this is where we get the Yokozuma. Um, 505 pounds. His, his weight is different in every segment, according to different people. <laughs> I'll just say this. I never thought about that it that much before, but just looking at that promo with Yokozuna, I'm like, how could anyone have ever thought he was Japanese? He's like the most Samoan-looking guy like in his face that I've ever seen, maybe. So that's just a weird little thing to uh, throw out there. It was a different time and not in a better way. <laughs> Indeed. You got that right. So, old Yokozuna. Uh, you see why Jim Cornette's on his way, because I don't see how you get a year or two out of these guys the way that they're doing it otherwise. Hey, at least uh, he didn't bring out the mustard. I was going to say that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect's having a time of his life. Like He's got that shit-eating grin ever since he's been a baby face, and he, he seems to be on his way to something. He's going to have a great 93. You know, I think uh, some people maybe say he's uh, past his prime, but he's going to have this match with Flair we're going to talk about, which I think is fantastic. Uh, he's going to wrestle Brett again at the King of the Ring, which I think is an yes. amazingly great match. Uh, he's going to have a, a very great run this year before he kind of fades out again. Yeah, I was like... 10% happy to see Hacksaw because he's about to do my favorite thing he does in the WWF, which is have his matchup with Yokozuna. <laughs> and get murdered, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Sean Mooney is back uh, outside, and Bobby Heenan is trying to get in again. Um, he's taking nice. a different disguise. <laughs> now he's got a big beard, and uh, I guess he's supposed to be Jewish or something. Uh, doesn't work either. 
Um, he's desperate to get inside. He, he demands to go up on the roof. So uh, that was his solution to all this. He's going to tunnel in, I guess, through the roof or something. So, <laughs> As Rob Bartlett will say of this segment later on in his life, Mr. Man thought I was Jewish. <laughs> yeah, I, I wondered about that. It's like, didn't I? Yeah. I okay, sure. That, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> so that's how that came about. And again, Bobby Heenan is not done, and we will see him one more time uh, before the night is over. Indeed. Okay, so we got a recap now. Kamala being bullied. Slick, not not only does Slick come out to help Kamala, but he runs to the ringside, which impresses me. Yeah, he should have given um, notes to Papa Shango. I know that. Yes. So. <laughs> and he stands between them, which is all. You know, you look at these small signs because in the WWF, especially with baby faces, you need to learn to read the signs and see who's sincere and who is not. And I deem the Reverend Slick to be sincere in this effort. I think it's unfortunate. Um, that this run didn't really pan out because babyface managers, they just can't work. Um, plus slick was on the wrong side of that paper that we talk about, but, uh, I love slick. And I think he was very sincere in wanting to be like this positive character. Cause he did have yeah. like a real life conversion. He became, uh, you know, deep into Christianity, deep into spirituality. And, uh, by all accounts was a very good person. So I think he yeah. was very sincere about making this work. Um, so whether it did or not is one thing, but it's nice to see them try at least. And we get to see Kamala turning face and we both enjoy Kamala a lot. So that's a uh, nice to see as well. I think it could have worked because Slick is just one of those guys that if, if he puts his name on it, he's going to make it work and he has yeah. the ability to do that. And this is what I saw. I forgot this ever happened, but this is what I saw when I was talking about my Elegante big Josh Kamala group, mm. the Kamala that we're going to get is part of what I saw because like, the facial expressions are so good, and they've used them as a heel. Like it, don't, it only makes sense to see the other half of the facial expressions. Absolutely, uh, we've talked many times about it. We we're such a fan of the guy behind the Kamala gimmick, uh, whatever you may think of that gimmick, being obviously outdated, as my friend said, uh, as a different time. But man, what a performance! And the facial expressions and everything. Yes, so good, so good. I hadn't even thought about that in my little group, though. You know who else is killing it is Doink the Clown. And why? Because it's Big Josh making the faces behind the yes. clown. Like he's going to suck later. There's something about it, man. These people that... that yeah, but when I it sucks, it won't Scott. be Big Josh. Yeah, go ahead. You know? <laughs> when it sucks, it won't be Big Josh anymore. So Exactly. Yeah, there's the difference. And Slick is sucker punched. And then I love the whole thing with Kamala, though, is that he doesn't immediately do something. So he's looking around. He's surveying it. It's very... Like felt sense here, and like I, I know what's wrong. But the thing is, he could have knocked them out when they were bullying him. But there's something interesting about the fact that he doesn't do that. But when they hit Slick, that's the end of the, the end of that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And that the, the heart of Kamala, you know, I feel like that, what a good heart this uh, yes. this guy must have to, for that to be his reaction. And you just watch someone again, like Slick not only ran down when he didn't have to, but he stood in between. Like, that standing in between. This is what I said about Sherry the other day. And Like, when you got a group of heels like Michaels and Sherry, Sherry goes over there when Janetti is facing Michaels and stands beside Michaels. Mm. She doesn't stand between them because they can take each other or leave each other at the end of the day. Yeah. But Slick, who has no relationship to him, like you said, has his own experience and he's trying to do better, comes down and stands in between. And so... Just watch that for yourself, folks. The standing in between thing is kind of cool. I wish Slick had stayed longer, 
But, yeah. you know, it is what it is, I suppose, at this point. Yeah, it was not to be. But, uh, yes, he will come down and he will do the Miss Elizabeth for Kamala. So that's, uh, that's nice to see. <laughs> nice. Next up is the main event of the first ever uh, Monday Night Raw, The Undertaker versus Damian Demento. Yeah, a main event of sorts. You have Damian Demento with the jobber entrance. And uh, he's one of these very elaborate jobbers who maybe wasn't supposed to be a jobber at first, but kind of went that way quickly. Um, he's got his outfit. He's got his look. He looks kind of like a crazy, like maybe a wizard or barbarian <laughs> or something. I don't know. But uh, know. he is here to fight The Undertaker. Yeah, it's not a great matchup. Uh Kind of boring to me, but... Yeah, not too much here. I'll say this. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I love Undertaker's uh, leaping clothesline that he does. It's a great move. Yes, yes, yes. Also, I like just the parallels continue that Yoko kicked off the first Raw and Undertaker closed it. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, for years, um, back when I sort of uh, knew but hadn't seen uh, about wrestling history, I thought a lot about how Undertaker and Shawn Michaels were on the first Raw and, you know, they would last and last and last and continue to do great work. And, uh, yeah, now now putting Yokozuna in there as well. Um, you know, you really got your new gen being set up here. You really do. It's The Undertaker going over as a baby face. Uh, and then the show ends with uh, Vincent Mann interviewing Doink. Because <laughs> it's uh, uncooked, I guess, and they just yeah. do weird things. They so. crush warned you not there. I's doing is doing clown tricks, and if you participate and you fall for the trick, it's not the end of the world, but Crush is very offended by this, and he warns Doink not to do it anymore. I don't know if there's a dorkier character ever than this version of Crush. He seems like he's supposed to be like a giant kid, like like an eight-year-old brain was (laughs) put into his body or something. So (laughs) That is so perfect. That is exactly what he's supposed to be. Oh dear. Uh, I'll just say this. I never thought I'd say this, but uh, for a guy who's pretending to be like a Hawaiian surfer type, he actually needs to take some notes from Surfer Sting about how to be that. So I never thought Ooh. I'd say it, but here we are. It hurts, but it's also well said at the same time. <laughs> uh, Doink says if he doesn't have a sense of humor, that's his problem. And if he came out now, I would tell him. But the funny thing is, Crush is coming out now. So, you know, Doink has to actually face his words. And then Crush just warns him again. And then Doink runs from him, and Crush can't catch him. And then Doink, Doink falls on his back and starts laughing and kicking his legs up. Doink really has his way with Crush, is what I saw. Yep, absolutely. He's totally in his head. And uh, you referenced it as well. This is part of the great WCW invasion that we have through these years, because this is indeed Big Josh. And then, like... Doink uh, in 93 is really one of my favorite things about this year, so I really can't. I'm very excited to see more of this guy. I will say, too, like, Bret Hart has a great King of the Ring, but Bret Hart was pissed off at winning King of the Ring because he wanted to, you know, this is the time that he dies and beat Hulk Hogan, and he's getting King of the Ring and Jerry Lawler. Yeah. So if you're not going to have Bret Hart, if he's not going to be happy with it, I think Doink would have been an interesting first King of the Ring. Ah, I would have been all for it. I, I, I'm all for anything with Doink at this point. Like, if they had stuck with their guns of him being the evil clown, he could have been around for a long time, I think, and they're really going to just ruin the hell out of him. But, uh, yes. yeah, between the, the gimmick, which is very good, and the performer, who is great, he will have his own problems, unfortunately. But while we have it all put together, it's going to be some good stuff. WWF is one of the only places where you can have outright babyface privilege, and the worst thing that can happen to you is that they turn you babyface. <laughs> So true. Uh, again and again, it will be the wrong move. 
Doink is a killer. Doink is on Owen Hart level. Like to me, those two wow. are both uh, these guys who come up from the bottom and just like start cutting through things and they do it their own way. But I just want to see that crown on Doink's little little uh, like uh, mask hair, <laughs> the, the the little <laughs> thing he has on his head. I'd be all That'd be it. interesting, but we're not going to see it. We're going to see a pissed off Bret Hart win it instead. Indeed. Okay, that is the first Raw in the history of WWF Raw. Yep. After that, we go to, I think, the main event of Raw number two, which is Flair and Tito. Uh, this is also the night that Repo Man steals the hat of the Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> uh, so, I don't, I'm sure we may have had one before, but... Uh... The new generation trend of people's clothing being stolen is now appearing. So Savage, yeah. mm, he's so mad. Mm. Not about that hat. Why does he get mad about being stuck in the booth? But now he's going to be mad about the hat. So all right, fair enough. How many hats do you think he has? <laughs> like so many, he can't store them all. So I don't know why he's mad about this one in particular. He will also steal Rob Bartlett's car before the night, so he will repossess it. So he gets the car. And he gets the hat, but Savage does not seem concerned about the car. I didn't even know that. So why would you be concerned about Rob Bartlett's car? Yeah, good point. <laughs> okay, so, so I wanted to put this on uh, both because we don't have long with Tito, but also because uh, I think Flair's first big match in the WWF was with Tito, and here's going to be almost his last match. Um, will be with Tito as well, so I thought it was a nice way to go full circle here. Yeah, and again. Ric Flair, he's known for one thing in his life, it's those robes. And Ric Flair comes out in his robe, and Rob Bartley, who's probably never heard of Ric Flair, says, wardrobe courtesy of Victoria's Secret. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but say that in two weeks. Uh, wait till he, wait till he goes to WCW, please. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tito, man, Tito's good, though. Again, overpowering uh, with a running shoulder tackle. He can kind of do a little bit of it all. Uh, Flair is very much being Flair in this matchup. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting because Vince will call Tito one of the all-time greats of the WWF. And uh, wow. I don't think he was maybe sincere about that, but he does say it. So I'm going to hold on to it because I think uh, in many ways it's actually true. Absolutely. My favorite spot in this match is Tito goes on the second rope and rings down punches. And the minute he comes off of it, Flair's still in the corner and Flair just pokes him in the eye. Yes, yes, it's great. Uh, like you said, like, they put a lot into Flair even at the end here. Like, he's still uh, really kind of Flair in his full Flairness. So, um, I, I appreciate that. This, this is not the best match these two had together, no. but it's a good match. I, I'm, I'm glad we took a chance to check it out. Yeah, and it's it's uh, instrumental. We're, we're speeding things up, I think, to get Flair going. But, you know, Perfect runs out. They start a brawl, and we kind of get into this thing where, as a loser, leave town match will do. Like, this this place ain't big enough for the both of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the match is thrown out as this fight happens. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter and some referees kind of break them up, put them backstage. But after we come back, hey, they come fighting back out again like they never stopped. So uh, we're going to yep. hear from both guys before the show ends here. Rick Flair says in front of God and the world, I won't perfect. One of us stays, one of us goes. Not out of the building, but out of the WWF. Mm, yeah, it's a great promo from Flair here. I really enjoyed this one. Yes. He says you will never see the day in your life where you beat Rick Flair. Mm, yep, so you're not man enough and you don't have the guts. So, very fired up Rick Flair here. Vince McMahon does a great job because even he's trying to tell a heel 
Like, that's too much. Don't put your career on the line. You don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. You know, even uh, even if they don't like him, you don't want his career to end uh, just because of this. It's a good way to sell it. Yes. Perfect hears about it from Vince McMahon and again gets that shit-eating grin on his face and says, I'll take that in a heartbeat. I am what I say I am. So, perfect not even losing not even losing a thought on the prospect. I'm glad you brought up that uh, that grin a few times because I love Mr. Perfect and, uh, you know, it's just part of his whole vibe. It's great, you know, that grin, uh, the, the, the towel, the gum hitting, all this stuff. Like, I just love Mr. Perfect. So, you know, it's so good that he gets this run in 93 where he's going to really do some great stuff, as I mentioned. It's why, too, every character needs to be distinct and often that's a part of themselves because – if everybody behaved like perfect, I would stop watching wrestling in a minute. But if one person behaves like perfect, that's very interesting. Yeah, it feels the opposite of what you were saying uh, maybe about SummerSlam earlier on. These characters are so enduring, like they are themselves from one week to the next, no matter what happens to them. So um, it's great. It's kind of 101, um, but the fact that it doesn't always happen makes you appreciate it all the more when it does. Absolutely. Man, so we set up a big, big, big matchup. For Raw number three, a main event of Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair with their careers on the line. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be uh, one of, if not the, biggest early Raw match that you can think of. And man, is it a good one. I'll just say, I think this is a fantastic match, and I, I, I'm excited to talk a little more about it here. Absolutely. So, uh, at the beginning of the next show, Sean Mooney is there, and we see what I just said with the car and all that. But the funny thing is Bobby Heenan has made it into the building. So he is in the place of Randy Savage. It is Vince McMahon, uh, Bobby Heenan, and Rob Bartlett calling the action. It is Ric Flair versus Mr. Perfect. Absolutely. And Heenan, uh, oh, man, this is another great Heenan showing. Like, at first, he will go uh, to ringside before the match. He will consult with Ric Flair when he's back on commentary. He's once again on pins and needles. He's ready to live and die with Ric Flair in a way that uh, he rarely was in his career. So you got to love this stuff. It's set up so well. This is where I give so much respect to WWF, you know, because they give half the show to this match. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not going to be perfect just walking over him. I still remember when Sting beat Lex Luger for the world title at Super Brawl and Luger was on his way out. And then the commentary in the match, Sting dominated the total package and how pissed off I felt at that. (laughs) They're not doing this here. This is being presented as one of the greatest matches you can watch. Bobby Heenan, the respect that he shows by leaving the booth and shaking Flair's hand. This is about as well done as you can have it when someone's on their way out of the company. And it's shocking that it would come from one side and not the other, because if you were going to pick which company was going to be petty, I know which one I would pick ten times out of ten, but uh, in this case, it's not so. Agreed. I love the shoves and the slaps. So there's like... Flair is shoving him. He's slapping Flair, and then they get into a little bit of wrestling, and then the minute he jumps up, there's a slap that takes uh, that continues the sequence, this time taking Flair down. <laughs> I love when a slap or something can send somebody out of the ring, and it's not just the force of it. It's like the emotional force of it. Like you have to get out or you know that the whole match is going to tilt in the other guy's favor just uh, psychologically, so it's a nice touch. I kept noting how much I love how somber and careful they're being. Mm, yeah. like nobody wants to make a mistake and then we talked about Vince today Vince is the only one in the booth saying that there needs to be reckless abandon and they're both making a mistake for being careful 
I disagree, sir. Well, uh, yes, his uh, play-by-play analysis has never been what he's known for. Um, so that's great. They keep including, like, Heenan. They keep including all these uh, touches. Like, at one point, Flair goes over to the commentary table, and they're consulting, but Heenan is also trying to, like, give him the, the, the hammer for the yes. ring bell. So it's just all the little touches. It's very well done. It's so well done. Uh, they they just stand and look at each other a bunch of times. Bobby Heenan's, you know, on pins and needles. Bobby Heenan's in and out of the booth. He, it's got that feel. And, again, not only is that special because Flair's leaving, but it's almost the opposite of the vibe they're trying to get from Raw. So it's like we're going with a different vibe, but the precedent of this match overrides the vibe of the show. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, that's to the betterment of everything, I think. Bobby Heenan says you can do anything till you get caught when Ric Flair is cheating. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, on this match, this is another reason I looked up the the interview of Rob Bartlett and I got what I wanted because Rob Bartlett goes silent in this match. <laughs> yep. And I think it's just he's never seen anything like this. He tries to make a joke or two, and then I think he catches the seriousness of Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan. And I think just the the nature of the match and the way it's treated and the performers in it, I think, put him down. Like they, they end for a moment the Rob Bartlett like commentary and Vincent Manley, even like you haven't said anything. <laughs> it and uh, I guess again that's a credit to Rob Bartlett because there are certainly commentators who wouldn't have known to shut up and would have barreled on with their sticks. So the fact that he stepped back. And let this match be, uh, I guess, is to his credit. I'm giving far more credit to Bartlett than I thought I would. I was ready to come in here and really just trash him up and down. But, um, you know, not that he didn't deserve it somewhat. But, uh, yeah. you know, he, he had uh, some redeeming factors, I guess. It's weird, too, because this is like an outright feud between Perfect and Flair. Mm-hmm. And yet it still feels a little bit like when Shawn Michaels retires Ric Flair. Like, there's still <laughs> that part of Perfect that worked for Flair, that worked with Flair. Like... I like that they're treating it like it's not just a gleeful day when I end Ric Flair. Even Mr. Perfect with all his swag and all his energy, you just feel a little bit of conflict between the two in in this. And you feel the weight of what one is going to do to the other. Yeah, I mean, look how similar they are. Look how long they spent uh, as allies. You know, they only blew up because uh, kind of circumstances conspired to uh, put their egos in uh you know, in conflict. So there, there is an element of that for sure. Yeah. And then it's going to come down to the perfect plex. It's an amazing thing. When you go back to the segment that we did with primetime wrestling, which no longer exists. So this feud started in primetime and ended on raw, but that did joke. Randy Savage comes on the screen and tells a joke. My partner will be Mr. Perfect and I'll have a good laugh. <laughs> And that leads to the end of the career of Ric Flair. Yeah. God, what a journey that is. Yes. Oh, this is so good. I got to touch on this match just a little bit yes. more. Like, there's a lot that happens in here. Uh, perfect. He's got his huge bumping, of course. He'll take a, a really nutty bump out to the floor at one point. He'll get busted open. He is working overtime here. Um, yeah, Flair, uh, he, he will be cheating. He will hit a foreign object across the face of Mr. Perfect, you know, Bobby Heenan yelling that perfect, he should have stayed in the group and now it's all over for him. But perfect gets his foot on the ropes. 
perfect pushing through the pain, the grit, going back on the attack, uh, and that perfect plex you mentioned, I just got to say, he applies that at a dead run. Like, it's not his usual, like, setup. He, like, charges into it, and he hits it so goddamn beautifully that I just got to praise it here. So it's a fantastic match. If you've never seen this one, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, check it out. Like, this is wonderful stuff. It really is a moment in history. I don't know how many companies have been able to elevate so many people potentially. Like, that Royal Rumble 93, I think you could probably make five to ten good cases. And, yeah. you know, Mr. Perfect, what a what a coming out for someone who's already been a star. But, man, if, if you're going to go to that next level, this is when you do it. Yeah, no, absolutely so. Um, it, I don't think it'll it, – it won't be this way. But, like, coming out of this, certainly he could have entered into a main event picture with a big – win like this with a with a performance like this you know he could have been challenging again for the world title at any time it feels like mm. yeah it's amazing like what we said about razor about perfect we got yokozuna on the rise luger's coming in uh, the steiner brothers are here and apparently scott was considered it's just <laughs> like you said hogan's gonna win the belt that's so many but that aside <laughs> like man is it not all up in the air right now yeah, it feels like there's a wealth of possibilities, so what they go with will be uh, interesting, to say the least. But uh, it certainly feels like a rich field to choose from at the moment. Absolutely. This one's a classic. This is one I remember from childhood. Like I said, I didn't even remember that there was an era where they were in a certain building and trying to do this vibe. But I remember Mr. Perfect and Flair and what that felt like. Uh, absolutely. And um, all the more so because uh, <laughs> I've probably seen it a few times. His reaction after this match ends is all-time classic. Like, he will get up from the booth. He will storm around. He will swear. He will have to be bleeped. He will be censored, ironically enough. Yes. Um, and just the way he storms around, like, that alone just captures how much they put into this match, this show. Like, it just all works perfectly on this night. and yeah, at one point he says, I'll be right back. And then he's like, I'm going to call Mr. Perfect the cab. <laughs> That's great, yeah. As always, when he when his man is on top, he is reveling in it. <laughs> and when he is on the bottom, he is just in physical agony from it. So it's amazing. Like, you'd think his own career was on the line here from the way he acts. Yes. That's, again, though, what I said about Slick standing in between. If you want to be a manager of consequence... It should feel like your career is on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And how many don't do that and how few do? Mm. God, that's so good. Yes, yes, yes. And then even beyond that, this is an era where Bobby Heenan being censored is almost a more uncensored thing. Because he's probably not saying anything, but like it gives us the impression of a bunch of profanity. And that's almost more than we can bear at this time. So the censoring is almost a, being more uncensored in its own way. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Although, uh, I, I don't think we had a chance to check this, but he was censored once before when he was uh, having a debate with Ken Patera <laughs> after he came back. He said something, and uh, we never knew what it was. So, yes, the rare occasion where the brain has to be censored, you know, that's something uh, meaningful in and of itself. And what a way that, like, I, if you got to leave the company mm. and Raw is the new thing and the new generation is the new thing, 
How interesting that Bobby Heenan has to see Ric Flair be retired and driven out of the Raw building, and then the way Bobby Heenan ends up leaving WWF. Yeah, absolutely. He'll be thrown out on Raw in uh, almost a bit of a similar way, you know, like there's a similar vibe there, perhaps. So. Yeah. It's great stuff. I always wondered if they couldn't push this to WrestleMania, and in some ways I think that still would have been better, but uh, just the fact that it did happen on an early Raw and it was treated the way it did and it came off so well, I think you really have to appreciate that. Yeah. I, I can see the WrestleMania thing, but I think it, it was time to go for both men, and yeah. you know, it elevates Raw, too. Like Raw needed at least a little bit of, of somberness you know, here in the first <laughs> few weeks. Absolutely. That's all the notes I have on our material, but you have to share, I think, a little bit about Rob Bartlett before we end here. Yes, yeah, so I've shared a lot of it already, but he was on. Uh, is there Sam? Sam, somebody that was in WWF, is also a podcaster. Uh, well, he's with he's with somebody who okay, works. Sure, yeah. Yes, and um, he he met Vincent. Man, he was doing uh, a comedy for a, a special Olympics event, and Vince was in the first row. And Vince was wearing a peach suit. He didn't know who Vince was, I don't think. But Vince was wearing a peach suit, and he did 20 minutes just roasting Vince McMahon. <laughs> and he could not tell if Vince McMahon thought it was funny or was offended. But, like, a week later or so, he got a phone call saying, Vince McMahon wants you to call him. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. you know. <laughs> um, he said he didn't know anything about wrestling, but his eight-year-old son loved pro wrestling, so it was a big deal for his son. Um he got his son and his son's friend to be able to attend Madison Square Garden, and they were uh, – he had to get in the ring and try to interview Giant Gonzalez, and the whole crowd, like, booed him and cheered Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> so, like, he, was, he understood it, but, you know, he was a little worried that his son was going to be upset, you know, with the whole thing, but it turned out okay. Okay, all right. Um, he said, I, I could tell – that um, they asked him, like, did you think it was going to work? Did you realize later it obviously wasn't? And he said, no, I could tell from the beginning it would be a fucking disaster. <laughs> um, he had ideas. He wanted to write a, like, write a script about pro wrestling, and then they, they discussed possibly doing a 30-minute Saturday Night Live type thing just for WWF. And uh, Kevin Dunn apparently liked all these ideas. So uh, when he quit, they tried to convince him to stay. So they, they tried to talk him out of quitting. <laughs> And this is after 13 weeks. And that's when he told him, like, I'm not making your product better and this is not working. And they kept trying to keep him because, like, he said Kevin Dunn was really excited about the Saturday Night Live type show. And so that happened. Um, he was he, he hasn't watched wrestling. They seemed a little upset or a little like they didn't invite me to the 25th anniversary, which obviously. But, <laughs> you know, I think they could have done it. They could have done something with it. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied that they didn't. Uh. <laughs> He said, again, the Lucy and Ethel thing. And he said these were the nicest people he ever worked with. Like, Aww. Macho Man, he said, you know, tried to help him. Like, anything you need. If you, I think he said Macho Man said that you can make fun of me all you want as long as you make fun of Hogan, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so impressive. He's not even uh, in the company right now. but uh. Yeah, and then there was, you know, there's one person who shouldn't have helped him. It's the guy that he would give a lot of the credit to. He's like Bobby Heenan was the nicest guy. Bobby Heenan tried to help me. He tried to, you know, he talked to me after the show. He said, when you talk to Bobby Heenan, if it's been a week, the next time you see him, it's like you never stop talking. Aww. So, um, 
Then there's one episode, I don't know. I watched a little bit and it sucked because Rob Rob Bartlett sucked. <laughs> yeah, but when I listened to the podcast, I liked the idea. I thought this is awesome, but now I, I made the mistake of watching the episode. But <laughs> Vince couldn't be there for a brawl because he's getting an award. So it was Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, and Rob Bartlett. And Rob Bartlett decided that he was going to imitate Vince McMahon all night, and that's all he was going to do. I have seen that, and it is not good. <laughs> Bobby Heenan said, you got balls, my friend. <laughs> um, Apparently he could afford to, because he could do all this and be bad at his job, and they would still move heaven and earth to keep him. So Yeah. He said Rick Flair called me sir. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. Um, and he couldn't remember the match, but he said there was one match. They lasted three segments and just talking a little bit in awe about the match. I, I know it was the match where he went quiet. It was the Mr. It had to be the Mr. Perfect Rick Flair match because it did go through, so. I think, several commercials. So that was interesting. He said by week two, he knew it was a, it was over. He was eating Ico Pro and making Ico Pro jokes because he didn't have anything, anything left. <laughs> um, and then the only other thing after he mocked Vincent Mann, at least according to him, like Vincent Mann told him, because they weren't always in Manhattan. Sometimes the Manhattan building was rented out and they had to be somewhere else. Uh-huh. And he told him the wrong building for <laughs> Raw so that when he showed up, nobody was in the building except the camera crew. And then Vincent Mann like, went over to him you know, to do some jokes about him being in the wrong building. And apparently all of that was like Vince McMahon just kind of getting him back for the, for the Vince McMahon stuff. Oh, my God. How much money <laughs> do you think he spent on that weird rib? Yep. <laughs> So, this is why, oh, oh, they're, they have money troubles, but they're also going to waste money on stupid stuff like that. All right, sure, why not? Oh, that's what they said. Like, Vincent Man's the only person who will spend his own money, his own company's money, just to kind of do the thing <laughs> that he's determined to get done. But the thing I respected the most is that he, like, he knew he sucked from week one, and he took himself. Like, he, you, if you just want to make money at their expense, like, they weren't going to get rid of him. You know, like, he, he had the decency to say, like, I'm not making this better, you know, and, if it's a man, should have known it from the beginning, but I still swear he did. But I feel like sometimes Vince goes against his own instincts. Weird, like sometimes he will never waver, but sometimes he will go against his own instincts just because he thinks like it's more mainstream or it's gonna get him yeah. like the right kind of attention. You know, I could so easily see Vince. Well, I don't like this guy, but I bet other people do. They probably think he's hilarious. You know, so yeah. it's so weird. It's also Vince versus Vince because it was Vince's idea to bring him in, but it's Vince's <laughs> idea to get rid of him. So, like, who the hell wins that battle? <laughs> uh, well, I'll just say it sounds like Rob Bartlett is a much better person than he is a uh, comedian or commentator. So I will applaud him. I think that's the more important thing at the end of the day. So I'll give credit. And... It's also what is this obsession about being mainstream? Yeah. To the point that the mainstream person has to be like, no, stop paying me money. Like, this is not working. <laughs> Like it, it exposes that deep, 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 deep flaw in Vince McMahon that the one thing that he's done for wrestling that nobody else has ever done is created something so unique and different. And the only thing he's ever wanted to do is get away from that and be the same as everything outside of wrestling. Mm, for sure. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's the great sin here. Yeah. Why do you think CM Punk said, uh, you know, I left wrestling in 2005, you know, because, uh, if you want to be sports entertainment, if you want to be uh, anything but wrestling, you want to be kind of a mainstream, you know, hey, we have comedians, we're, we're Saturday Night Live, we can do all these other things. Guess what? That can be a lot of things, but it's probably not exactly what you would call pro wrestling. 
Yeah. And that's why I loved it so much, though, because yep. it's one of the only times in the history of wrestling where it was not pro wrestling othering itself. Like, you're the best in the world and you're sports entertainment, but we're little wrestlers trying to still be wrestlers. <laughs> like, he was making the other thing small. The other thing, the, the, the thing that was out of context was the sports entertainment. Yep. And that's also coming from a guy who does movies and that TNT's already said they're going to find stuff, stuff for him. So it says you could actually be a pro wrestler and identify as a pro wrestler and still do all the things that you want to do, but yet... Like you sold that name out in order to get there and you didn't even have to do that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, just just to talk about CM Punk one more time. He here's a guy who is famously careful with his money, who certainly doesn't have to come back for this, um, who has written comic books and who has, uh, you know, worked in other sports, not that successfully, but still made a lot of money there. Uh, he's done, as you said, acting opportunities. He's been on different TV shows, all these things that he could have done. He came back, and like you said, it seemed so clear that he valued pro wrestling in the form that he chose to, you know, see it, to appreciate it more highly than all those things. So I, I just appreciated that so much. Yeah, two things. For me personally, number one, I don't know how you don't have anything but respect for someone who gets in the octagon. The fact that he has no business in the octagon almost gives me more respect for him for getting in it. And then the second thing is, it always baffled me because I always thought like when he eventually he'll come back to WWE and WWE is not better now. It's worse probably than it was as far as the things that he spoke out against. So how do you bridge that? And then like for seven years, it's just like, no, I'm not coming back to wrestling. So he didn't come back until he hit something that he could justify coming back to. And that gives credibility to all the statements that he's making. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, he, for better or worse, uh, he seems to be a very honest guy about uh, his feelings, what he will and won't do. And, um, you know, that can cause uh, a lot of abrasion at times, but also it can get across this extreme sincerity that I think uh, you really have to appreciate. Yeah. And there's something about that part of him that overlaps well with how AEW is presenting itself. So mm. I think if he's smart, which he seems like he is, he's going to lean into the aspects you know, and then if that ever wears off, you can just pull a Hulk Hogan in WCW and be like, <laughs> yeah, I never really liked you guys anyway, and then start a whole new heel turn. So, <laughs> yeah, know. I mean, uh, it could happen. I, I certainly know. We all know that he has the chops to be a, a world-class uh, antagonist. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a lot of interesting things could happen in the future. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and then there's Daniel Bryan. So we got a lot to mm. – Lot to look I'm for. I'm so then, excited about that, and he couldn't hardly be more different than Punk in terms of like personality, because I can't imagine him coming in and like trashing WWE. If if he even mentioned them, yeah. I think he would just be like, "Oh, I was so grateful for like the time I spent there, you know." But now I'm gonna do different things. So, you know, such a different personality type, and yet my hype for him is just about as high as it is for CM Punk. So, what a one-two combination we're looking at here. Yeah, in, in any other world, they would almost cancel each other out, but they are so different. And every bit of my excitement for Daniel Bryan is for completely different reasons than CM Punk. Yeah, exactly. Like, they bring – on paper, you could say they're, like, very similar, but they bring such different things to the table. I don't know. I'm just very excited. You know, I've been a big AEW fan. Um, you know, as I said, they're not without their flaws, but man, like the things they do well, I appreciate so much and I have a lot of goodwill for the company and I'm just very excited to see what they're going to do next. 
What is the rumor for Brian coming in? Do you know? Like, when? What is that? There's a show, I think, in New York, like, uh, some new stadium. I forget the name. Okay. Arthur Ashe or something. Like, it's coming up. I gotta look at that up, because I think that's the rumored place for it. Um, Do you know if it's before or after All Out? I want to say before, but let me check it out. It is after, actually, so I wonder if he'll come in before that or if they will hold off on him. At this point, I hardly think they need more for All Out. Like, with Punk, they might almost be smarter to wait and space it out a little. But also, I mean, if you can put Brian on TV, like, I understand you might do that sooner. So, I don't know. Sometime in the next... By the time this airs, I'm sure we will know if Brian is really there or not. I'm pretty sure he will be. That's fair. And... they really have to space things out because apparently it sounds like Bray Wyatt might be coming in. So like, there's no end to the people that are coming into the company. Um, uh, if it happens, it happens. Like I said, many times I've been uh, kind of turned around on folks when they come to AEW. I am very leery of Bray Wyatt coming in, but uh, I'll give it a chance if it happens. I get a very different vibe from that than I'm getting from like the Punk and Brian stuff. What do you think about Ric Flair? Because it sounds like he might be coming in too fine like i guess i don't know like i don't want to come in and like start wrestling but if he's just there to like manage and like do promos i mean there's value in that like arn is there and they have that like wcw spiritual connection and uh i could see value in it just like don't let him wrestle also if he doesn't come i won't cry about it because he's a million and like he can only do so much so he will be at nwa 73 apparently okay all right why not more power to him How'd you feel about Magnus or not Magnus? Um, oh my God, why did I blame? Nick Aldis. Yes, Nick Aldis. Thank you. What do you think about him and Ric Flair interacting there? Uh, I don't know. Um, it could be fun. I think he needs every rub he can get. Like he's already had that sit down with Harley Race. Right. Yeah, um, I was thinking of that. It'll be interesting to see how Flair treats him. Like I'm, they've turned me off because they haven't really stuck to their brand a lot. Um, I could I could be at that event if I wanted to, but I chose not to. Uh, I'll check it out. I'll see what he does. It's uh, all this, I guess, versus um, Trevor Murdoch. I think Trevor Murdoch's career is on the line, so we'll see where that goes. But I don't understand. The NWA is in an interesting relationship with AEW where they send all their talent away and nobody comes back. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, AEW's relationships to others uh, are kind of weird right now, but um, at least they're benefiting from that one. Like, it's the opposite uh, with Impact. All all AEW gets is the stupid Good Brothers to goof around with Kenny Omega, and I don't know what else they're getting out of it. So, here we go. What else more could they ask for? It's interesting. I love this. Talk. Is that all? Is that the Forbidden Door talk, or is that something else? Forbidden Door. At first, it was supposed to be like I think a specific thing, like New Japan and AEW, but it's kind of now just become shorthand for like any uh, interpromotional relationship, I guess. Yeah, because Daniel Bryan just said his dream match would be Will Ospreay, and Will Ospreay is New Japan, so I don't know if he's going to be able to work other things or if that if that's a possibility or not. I think there's there's zero chance that his deal will not include that, that he can work yeah. anywhere he wants. Like, if Moxley can get that and a few others can get that, Brian will get anything he wants, I think, going over there. And I think all he wants in life is just to wrestle everywhere. So, And, we're again, we're recording this in um, August 22nd, so – and God knows what's going to happen with anything. But CM Punk, in a way – 
not that he can't do long-term great things, because he obviously can, but like that short-term payoff to me is almost what I expect from a long-term payoff from Daniel Bryan. Like I don't expect right. Bri- Daniel Bryan to make the entire world shake on his first night, but like I can't think of anybody better as a wrestler and human being to have than Daniel Bryan. Like that's a hell of a thing to get if they end up with him as well. I think so. Punk is enormous. Uh, you know, where will he be a year from now, two years from now? You really have no idea. He could be out again, you know, with his uh, personality. And, uh, you know, you just never know with that guy. Daniel Bryan, um, you know, what we've seen of him, like his attitude, his loyalty, his dedication to wrestling. I think on screen or off, this is a guy who will benefit AEW for years and years and years and years and just elevate them in countless ways. So, yeah, like, they bring something so different, and there's overlap, but I don't know. It's just a very good thing if you're a fan of AEW or even, I think, just a fan of wrestling, like, that this stuff is happening. Yeah, it's interesting to talk, you know, about 1993 and 2021, but <laughs> uh, a lot's coming. A lot's coming in the real world in real time, and a lot is coming at Royal Rumble 93, because again, I don't know if I've ever watched it or not, but that's one that's a gigantic question mark uh, for me as far as I don't remember anything from it except how Yoko wins the Rumble. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be a very, like on paper, it's an amazing show. I have to check it again to kind of see how it comes out. But what do you got? The Steiners and the Beverly Brothers. Mm. You've got uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. You've got, I forgot about this, but you have Bam Bam Bigelow and Big Boss Man. Wow. So that's very interesting. I've never seen that. Yeah, and Bread and Razor, and then you got the Rumble. So on paper, like, this looks like an amazing show. I, I don't remember what it'll be like, but I think uh, we'll definitely find some very good stuff to come out of that. And... Yeah, that's the best on paper I've heard in a while as far as just... Yeah. They're doing a lot of things right, and the Beverly, Beverly Brothers have deserved a match like this for a while. Oh, yeah. This match I remember loving, so we're, we're going to get into that, and I think we'll find some very fun stuff there. I think that Brett and Razor is the beginning of something, like I said, where Brett has some of his better matches with guys that are, are much bigger than him. Yeah, I um, it'll be interesting to revisit. I don't remember what the reputation is, but on paper, again, it looks wonderful. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And... All right. All right. I think that's all we got for today. So uh, anything else you want to say, my friend? That's it for me. All right. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, uh, please check out all the other great written material, LPForums.com. we got a great thread for the show, a lot of other things going on as well, and uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com. Also, for some great written material, last but not least, the other great programs on LOP Radio. A lot, a lot, a lot of great wrestling content that you can interact with right now. Very exciting stuff. That is all we've got for today in two weeks. It will be the Royal Rumble 1993, so please join us then. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears 
Oh, 